This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Oh, Tani! That was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. This is the show you never want to do. It's the show that unless you're following up the World Series and your team has won it, this is the show that really is no fun. And I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but it's just you want your team to be in the postseason. And so for here on Ace Cast Live, we will not call this the off season because we're still in season. We're going to be covering the, the entire playoffs all the way through the World Series. It's just when you look at it from an A's perspective, it's tough. And it's tough because... You want me to turn it down a little bit, Cody? Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Sound a little distorted. How's that? Sounds better. This millennial technology, we're constantly dealing with it. So, uh, by the way, Commander, how are you? Uh, I'm good, and you're right. This isn't a show you want to do, but um, I'll let you get back to it. I wanted to make sure you sounded crystal clear for our audience uh, when you explained why this isn't a show you want to do. Because he had me turn it up before the show, and I was a little worried. And Because uh, what happens is, when I let's be honest, when I start talking and I get the you know, the blood starts pumping and the coffee's going. I get a little louder than I normally am and excited because I love doing the show and I love A's cast and I love the A's and I love you, the fans. Um, yeah, it's tough. You really think that, you know, you should be playing in this thing. The A's have been in the playoffs three straight years. You know, go back to August 12th. They had a 62.5% chance to make the playoffs, according to fan graphs. And now we're going to be sitting at home and we're going to be watching the Yankees and the Red Sox in the wild card game. And then away we go into the postseason. And you think the A's should be there. They made great moves at the trading deadline. But for some reason, and I think it's going to take a while because you will, you will hear from Bob Melvin today. And I think it's too fresh for everybody, by the way, to really sit back. And if you are Bob Melvin or you're David Forrest, Billy Bean, you name it, I think it takes a while for you to like sit back and go, okay, so how did this thing play out? Why wasn't this team good enough? And I know there's going to be people who go, well, you know, hey, they're 10 games over 500. You know, you got 86 wins, but that's not who this team wanted to be. This team wanted to be in the playoffs, winning either 
97-plus games, what they're used to winning. They fell really short. Like, it's a completely different story if you're looking like at the Seattle Mariners. When you're a team that goes into the season and you have no expectations, technically you're in rebuild mode. And all of a sudden, your team goes out and has a great season and you don't make the playoffs. Like, if you're a Mariner fan and you went, what, 90 and 72, you're going to be happy. For the A's at 86 and 76, winning season. But, yeah, you're not going to be happy because you expected to be in the playoffs. We do have a great show for you today. Mike Farron from Sirius XM and works for the Arizona Dimebacks will be here at 1.30. We'll play the Bob Melvin Show at 2. Sarah Langs from MLB.com at 2.30. The great Ron Washington at 3. And Roxy Bernstein at 3.30. I will say this, which sometimes you got to get out of the sports world and you got to you know, put a little perspective on what, what's going on. I think it really hit me again. If you listen to our broadcast, you know that I do a minor league report every day where I've been I've been mocked by our good friend Steve Sparks of the Astros about that hit. Um, but I do it, it's at the end of the fifth inning where I do this minor league hit. And obviously everybody was done, but the Las Vegas Aviators. And then all of a sudden you started to realize here at the end of the season, as their season was parallel to ours, all of a sudden they're not playing. Game canceled, game canceled. And then you realize there's a COVID problem. And we don't know. Because basically the Las Vegas media didn't cover it. And the only people who covered it were were people in Reno. So all the different, uh, the Reno Gazette and then the TV stations, they at least gave you the generic report that they're going through COVID protocols, game canceled on Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday also wiped out. And it really brought a perspective back to me that COVID is still out there. It's still rampant in our country. And it can take you down so fast. And we're actually pretty lucky. Whether we're happy that we got in the postseason or not, I think in the end, I think we're lucky the A's got 162 games in. And I think everybody in baseball is lucky they got 162 games in. And we had a full season. Now, there's a terrific article, Cody, that you sent me that I've been reading all day about, you know, they talked, you know, one thing they talked about in The Athletic by Jason Stark, the Hall of Famer, talking about, how different a 60-game schedule is versus 162. Of course, we know that. And what that means for players and teams and, you know, if you played the 60-game, if you played the 60-game schedule, where would the A's have been? We're definitely in the postseason. 
even though, because remember, you got off to the tragic start, but then you won 13 straight. And the A's probably would have said, I will, Cody, I know you're looking it up as we speak. I'm going to say after 60 games, the A's were in first place. Yeah, give me a second to pull up the schedule and do uh, so many games through what they were through, 60 games. Uh, so if if you had a 60-game schedule. They were 35 and 25 through 60 games. So let me see what Houston, I have to see what Houston was. So the Braves, the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Yankees would not have been in the playoffs if it was a 60-game schedule. Oh, the Braves weren't 500 until like August, uh, sometime in August. And that's what's great about 162. But reading this article, it made me think. Do the fans really want that? The by the way, the A's would have won the AL West again. The Astros were 34 and 26. The A's would have been 35 and 25. Aha! Uh-huh. Once they had that 13 game winning streak, the A's were on fire. So if we played 60 games, so. This article in The Athletic, and if you don't belong to The Athletic, I understand. But if you read this article, it, it, it actually is very interesting from a standpoint of looking at last year to this year. But it made me think of this. How many fans, if you could condense the season, whatever the number would be, but yet expand the postseason, Owners are never going to go for it because that's going to be less revenue unless you can make it up to them in a television contract that they're going to be losing attendance. But you tell me, Cody, if we could drop down, I don't know, give me the number, into the 140s and have more playoffs, have more teams, how many fans would be like, I like that way better than, I mean, think about the death march for so many of these teams that didn't make the postseason, where you're like, oh, it's 162. It really is too much. Because if you're not in it, the very end is just like it's grueling. What was it? The number that a lot of people try to agree on is, what, 154? So you pretty much take off a week of the schedule almost. Well, it is about a week. See, I think it needs to be. I think I I was to bet on it, I I would – it needs to be more than that. I, I would I would think – I think 144 isn't a bad number. It's, not, it's what it used to be before anyway, right? Doesn't it used to be 144 or something like 146 that? 146 or something like that. So you do that, like, and you're talking about teams that had an excruciating time. Like, go back to your 60-game sample size. I'll give you a team that was 36 and 24, 60 games through the season this year. That'd be everyone's favorite to win the World Series, the San Diego Padres. Oh, Guess what the record was at the end of the season? 79 and 83. They were By the t- way, how, how's their manager doing? Well, he hasn't been fired yet. Like uh, Luis Rojas' option will not be picked up with the Mets. So the Mets will be looking for a new manager. Oh, by the way, that means you're not fired. They're not picking up your option. Yeah, so he's more. He's <laughs> not going to be back as the manager. I've had that happen to me before. <laughs> yes, they try and spin it when there's a, a, a release. They Well, we're just not picking up the option. They don't want to tell you we're firing you and we don't want you. We're just not going to pick you up, pick up your option. I've been in that boat before. Quick aside from that, well, think about it this way: Jace Tingler has actually done an okay job with the Padres. Now they collapsed this year. They were they've been twelve and thirty-two since August thirteenth. Twelve and thirty-two since August thirteenth. Our good friend in Arizona, Tori Lovello, 
lost 111 games this year. He got his option picked up for next year. Brandon Hyde, the manager in Baltimore, hasn't won more than like 60 games yet as a manager. He's coming back next year. Luis Rojas, yes, the Mets had high expectations this year, is out after two seasons. Jace Tingler is going to be out after two seasons, one year in the postseason. But yet these guys are going to lose 110 games. Both teams have lost 110 games, and they're coming back next year. It just shows you the dynamics of two different franchises, or four different franchises, where they're expecting to be and the expectations they have. Because this is the first time, if I want, tried to go back and look, and it is true, the first time ever we've had two teams lose over 110 games in the same season, and both their managers are coming back next year. It's unheard of. Well, well, just knowing a little insight into the Padres, it's very obvious, and I know our fan base really doesn't care, but A.J. Preller is just trying to save himself. This is multiple times A.J. Preller has gone all in. This is multiple times he's fired managers, and he's gone in and he's he's dumpster-fired the organization. He's fired multiple people before the season ended inside their organization. And I know for a fact, he's the kind of guy, it's like opposite of what Bean and Force do, where everybody with the A's has been here a really, really long time and continuity is king. A.J. Preller, again, is going through, firing everybody saying, oh, we need a new voice. Oh, we need a change. When the change really needs to be him. And, yeah, dumpster fire for, for, for quite a few teams. And if you had a smaller season and a larger postseason, I still don't understand why there's certain people in our sport who are so against expanding the postseason. You can't say this enough. Expanding the postseason has been good for the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, college football. I mean, college basketball. I mean, at one point, the NIT was the number one thing. And now what you look at with the NCAA tournament and the cash cow that is. And they always want to do the outlier. Like, well, if a team gets, you know, under 500, for God's sakes, we've got, we've got, what did the Dodgers finish with in wins? 106. And they're in a wild card game. Are you kidding me? Yeah. The A's back-to-back years won 97 games and were in a wild card game. It, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Shrink the season, add more postseason. Let's get rid of this one-and-done game, even though that game does get ratings. But seriously, you could make far more money if you had expanded postseason. And it makes it more, and, and I just, it, it, it makes more towns, more teams involved. It just makes sense. And I'm hoping... This will be part of the discussions of of the CBA coming up. Give me more. Look, look at it this way, and you're right, because everyone's going to go with the outlier, the 500 team, the, the team that finished under 500. They're going to go, well, the Astros were under 500 last year. They were, a, they were a game away from going to the World Series and probably challenging the, uh, the Dodgers for the World Series as a team to finish under 500. Now, flash forward a year. 
What did the Astros do this year? Oh, yeah, they finished with the second-best record in the American League. So if you want to say that they were under 500 the year before, they came back and they were the second-best team in the American League behind only Tampa. So last year was more of a fluke year for them more than them being the outlier because they were under 500. Now, if you want to look at the National League and you want to expand the postseason, yes, there would have been a team like the Padres that got in, like the Mets, like the Phillies, teams that stunk under 500 that got in, but the Astros are a good team. They were a good team last year, just had a bad record. They're, one of their best power hitters didn't play last year. He was hurt in Jordan Alvarez. So that, that happens. But if you want to expand like, – this whole idea of not, like, not wanting to expand the playoffs, if you have the playoff format from last year, the Giants are in, the Dodgers are in, because you take the first two teams from the, from the division. So you would have Houston and Seattle already in, and then you would have uh, the yeah it would be the Rays and Yankees. So then you would have the wild card teams being the Red Sox or the Jays and the A's. So the A's would be in this year as the A seed essentially in the wild card game, and they'd be playing the Rays in the first round. So it'd be good because then you would have these teams that had 86 wins not being in the postseason. Yes, the the Mets or Phillies or whoever had the worst record in the National League. We'll play the Giants, and yeah, it would be heartbreaking for Giants fans if they lost in the first round to a team with under 500, but that's just how it would work. But again, well, it's, it's not mean, going to fail. I mean, look at this. If you expanded the playoffs, do you really think that the Mariners being 90 and 72, I'm just looking at the standings right now, and the A's being 86 and 76 would ruin your postseason? A team that won ninety and another team that won eighty six games that they would, if they would really like, it would be a tarnished postseason. I could look in the National League and look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies are two games over five hundred. Cincinnati eighty three and seventy nine. So yeah, every once in a while you would have the outlier that is a team under 500 getting into the postseason. Deal with it. I mean, I'll never forget, and I can't even remember what, what year it was, where the Seattle Seahawks, I want to say, were 7-9 and nine and hosted the New Orleans Saints. That was, uh, the, was that 2010? I, I don't even remember. I just know that happened. Matt Hasselbeck against Drew Brees. Did that hurt the NFL playoffs? Has the NFL playoffs suffered because that happened? Because an outlier happened? You have to stop worrying about the outlier and look at the true outcome. And more teams, more towns in the playoffs is better than playing 162 games. You know, another thing that it strikes me about this article, and, you know, obviously, what are we? We're not doctors. We're not trainers. When they say the amount of injuries that happened this year versus the last couple years and blaming the shortened season, and you just kind of wonder, like, why would that be? When guys got more rest, guys got more chances to work out, they got chances to be better, they weren't on planes, they weren't in hotel rooms. You know, when you're on a when you're on a plane constantly, let's let's face it, 
you're in this tube with recycled air, and then you're going to a bed that's not yours in a town with a different time zone. You would think guys should have been healthier this year because of the opportunity not to have the grind from the year before. But yet there's more injuries. I don't know who we could talk to, Cody, about that. But to me, that would be a really a fascinating conversation with like a orthopedic surgeon or like, why would guys who got to have more rest and got to work out more ended up being hurt more? How do you explain that? It's a good question. And you're right. I don't know who we could ask about that. Now, the pitching injuries are Dr. Swartz. Maybe we should get Dr. Swartz on the on the phone. It's fascinating because the pitching one's a little different because of the, the number of innings, but the position players, we've seen so many guys get hurt this year, and it's a lot of leg injuries more than anything with position players. With like, look how many, look at like Ronald Acuna tours ACL. It's not like, you know, that's not a common injury a lot in baseball that you really think about. It's more hamstrings and stuff like Mike Trump missed the entire year pretty much for a strained calf. Like, that's just like a, a, like a really abnormal injury. And to why? Kick. That, yeah, he like, had so much time to rehab. He had so much time to strengthen that he didn't play the full 60 games last year. You know, in this article by Jason Stark says, at one point on July 22nd was the peak. You had 295 different players on the IL at the same time. Almost 10 per team. That's way above the peak's of 2018 and 2019 when you had full seasons. How do you explain that? You had more time to train. You had more time to get better than ever before. And pitchers, you had less wear and tear on your arm than probably any time in your life. You know, you think of all these guys now who are in Major League Baseball, especially if you grew up in the United States, this is the travel ball era. These guys have been logging a lot of time back to when they were kids. And here, and here for the first time, you actually had more than an off season to get stronger, to get healthier. You played a quick 60-game schedule. Then you went into an offseason and got to train again and get stronger. Why would more guys be injured after something like that? That doesn't make sense. To me, that is a legit question. Like when you look at the human body, you got to rest, you got to prepare, you got to train, but yet this is the most guys have gotten hurt. So you're saying guys need to grind their bodies through through 162 games, have an offseason, and then that prepares them for the next season? Because really, think about it. Think about if you're in the playoffs. Your grind is basically going to be to November. And all you're going to have is November, December, January, and late February. You're reporting. So it's really like three and a half months. But you had more than that during this deal. Why were more guys hurt this year? 
I mean, that that's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff in that article that was interesting to me. Um, another good question. Uh, remember how the, the pace of play was supposed to be better with the three uh, the three batter minimum? Uh, why did the pace of play of games go up this year then if with the three batter minimum? Pace of play this year for games, three hours and 10 minutes and seven seconds. That was up from three hours and seven minutes in the 2020 season and three hours and five minutes in the 2019 season. Teams were- uh, The alarm in New York – the panic button that we have. Do you have it? Uh, you mean you mean this one? See, I can't even hear that. Well, that's that's odd. I don't know why. But if you're in New York and you're going into this new CBA, the fact that your games are averaging three hours and ten minutes. And I know there's that faction of the fan base that goes, I don't care how long it is. I don't care about a clock. I, You know, the rest, of, the rest of people out there need to work. They need to get up the next day. I mean, how many kids can't stay up that late to watch games, let alone take them to a game because they got to get up and go to school the next day? If you're telling me the average baseball game is three hours and 10 minutes, who has enough time in their life, if you have a job, if you have a family, that you could sit on your couch for three hours and 10 minutes and watch the same thing? Let alone go to the game, park, get into the game, sit down, watch it, Get in your car, go home, and you got to get ready for work the next day. How many people have that kind of time Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? You know, okay, Saturday, not a big deal. But during the weekday, who has three hours and ten minutes worth of time to watch a sport? You just don't. Coming up next... Mike Farron, our buddy from Sirius XM and the Arizona Diamondbacks will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 
This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from the East Bay. Here's Chris Townsend. Our buddy Mike Farron is going to be joining us in seconds. Does a the Power Alley on Sirius XM MLB Radio. And also is me for the Arizona Diamondbacks and also does some play-by-play. Boy, is, by the way, is my mic better? Yes, it is. Thank you. I, I know you just seem low. You messed up. You want me to crank stuff up, and it just <laughs> was not right. It's it's hard when I'm not there to see what's going on. This is why it's so difficult to do do it from well, like five miles away from you. <laughs> you are never coming back to my studio. That's fine. I'm okay with that. That is never going to happen. We are going to be remote for the rest of our careers. That's fine. Again, that's fine. And I look at Mike right now. God, it is great to see you. How are you? I'm good. It's great to see you. Well, I'm going to tell you this now. So there, <laughs> there's in-season townie and there's off-season townie. And off-season townie is trucker hats and apparently in an undisclosed location somewhere in a bunker. But that is some artwork. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, Should I put like behind me? <laughs> we've been we've been working at home for almost two years now, and you can't get a better background than that. Like that's like zero out of ten on the Zoom calls app. A it's straight carpet padding, and by the way, no one can hear me. I could scream is like so that's why it's like a sound studio for all my commercials and everything. Like I could scream, and my neighbors can't hear me. Uh huh. But you know what? You're right. Maybe I need to put like a fake bookshelf or put something to make me, you know, put my degree behind me. Or Just get some like A's artwork or something. Do something. Pull some, like the, all those guys that are doing all the cool drawings and stuff of like like classic players or like the, the baseball card art, you know, Ricky, like put that behind you. That'd be perfect. You know, what's the worst is if you've written a book and you have your book behind you. That you is like, like passing. It, it, well, yeah. Well, I was gonna go. I wasn't gonna say anybody in our sport. I was gonna no. Go like, it's passing. If you watch the guys, like you know, it's CNN or whatever. The guy comes on. He's got his books behind him. Like, come on, really? You're that. Passing has his turn, so you can see the cover of it. <laughs> I haven't written a book. Maybe you know. Maybe just maybe. Um, but, what would but, the title of your book be? Hang on a second. This is be like. like uh, how would you describe what you would do as your book? A's announcer doing a book, what would it be? Well, I'm known as a straight shooter, and you know, I I I, I would like to say my way, kind of like off Sinatra. Like I've done it my way. I got to a point in my career where I said, you know what? I'm like Liam Hendricks. I said I'm either <laughs> succeeding or I'm failing doing it my way. And if you don't like it, I'll figure out something else to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know what? Screw everybody. I'm going down my road. And that's kind of been the great thing about the A's is they've always appreciated, like, hey, do what you do. I think that's why the A's and I have been a perfect fit. Most teams would have would have been freaked out about stuff that I say after games and on and on this show. But the A's have always, you know what? 
Here's the title. The A's allowed me to be me. Oh, there you go. And then it'll just be you. See, th- what they did is they allowed you to be you so you can kiss up to them the rest of your career. That's really good. <laughs> That's great. I like getting paid, my friend. <laughs> but off-season townie, I'm now – it just happened today. I got nine in before I had to do this show. Nice. Off-season town – because, you know, I'm up late doing these calls, so it's tough to get you and the Duke in the morning because you guys are in the morning here on the West Coast. I don't even know how you do it. But now – I can get back into the power alley on Sirius XM. Well, we had a thoroughly mediocre show this morning for you to enjoy. So that's good. So I'm kind of excited because you are my you guys like now that, you know, now that I have XM, like I don't even listen to radio. Yeah, I even got my kids into it and they like Kiss FM, which is like Channel 11 out of L.A. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I'm back in listening to you every day because you guys really your show is fantastic. Thanks. Well, we have a little bit of fun on occasion. So, um, I mean, listen, like the tiny, we talked about it before. I mean, like th- th- a lot of people end up treating all this stuff, like it's life and death. And in the end, man, it's just baseball, right? Like we love baseball. I think that's the one thing I, I really appreciate about Duke is that, you know, as much as the game has evolved in the 30 years, he's been involved with it. He still loves it. I mean, we can see things that happen in today's game that maybe we're not a big fan of, but I think you can look back at stuff that happened 20 years ago and go, well, I'm not a big fan of what that trend was too. And so take it all with a grain of salt. And there are so many national announcers and analysts that just bag on baseball for the sake of bagging on baseball. And I think that's bull, you know, like this is, this is fun. I mean, this is like, we get paid to talk about baseball for a living. Like, this is a stupid job. As Boog Shambi likes to say, we 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 chose to play in the toy department. <laughs> so, like, getting to play with the toys is pretty cool most of the time. And I'm really excited about this postseason. We're kind of bummed, though, you know. I am, um, too. We, we, we taped Bob Melvin earlier today, our last Bob Melvin show. And, you know, knowing Bob the way I do over the years, there, there's major disappointment. I mean, the A's haven't been in the playoffs three straight years. We go back to August 12th. The A's, according to Fangraphs, on August 12th, had a 62.5% chance to make the postseason. And then all of a sudden started start circling the, the drain. So people be like, well, you won 86 games. You're 10 games over 500. But, you know, for the A's going into this, the, the offseason, a bad taste in our mouths, no question about it. I understand that. I mean, I think the team, you know, the 2021 for the A's was like it was for a lot of teams that were kind of stuck in the middle where they were good teams that everything had to break right for them to make the postseason. And for a while, everything was breaking right. But the problem was that they they spent the first four months of the year. And I realized that, that you know, they had this you know, a two thirds chance or a three fifths chance of making the postseason into the middle of August, but they spent a good chunk of the year, you know, not being deep enough. And um, they were able to address it at the trade deadline mercifully, you know, in, in the deals that they made and specifically like adding, like I thought the Harrison and Gomes trade was like, was really smart just to yeah. get deeper, you know, the Marte trade, gosh, imagine what the last, you know, six weeks would have been like after Loreano was suspended. If, if Marte hadn't been there, you know, so I, I think that there were a couple of things that kind of, in, you know, were endemic to this season and to the path that that um, a lot of teams' ownerships put them down that impacted the A's this year. But, I mean, listen, it's still a good, talented core group, and my hope is that they can spend some of the winter augmenting it with guys that can help to get them back there because I, I think it's 
Like I, you know, I love the mats. Like they're great. And Bassett Montas in the rotation, like Manaya, like it's really good. Like there, there are good star quality core pieces there that you should be able to build on, but uh, build upon to compete for a playoff berth in 2022. You know, you know, once we got eliminated, once you get that E behind your name, the, 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 the focus of all the shows, whether it's this one, A's cast live or the A's clubhouse show became about, okay, what's next? The off season. And normally I have pretty good answers of what I think. Will this guy stay? Will this guy go? Is he signable? Like Marte turns 33 next week. And, you know, can we retain him? And what would it take? And I was for the first time in really in my career, like, I don't know. Because I don't know what's going to happen with the CBA. Until we know the rules, right? The CBA, Players Union, Tony Clark, Manfred, get this thing together. We don't know if there's going to be a floor. We don't know what the ceiling's going to be when we talk about salaries. We don't know what the roster size is going to be. Uh, there's going to be talk uh, potentially of expansion. Would you agree that we probably won't see much from players signing and much of an offseason until there's a an agreement between the players' union and the owners? So, yes, but probably for none of the reasons that you've listed. I think in the end, the structure of what we see going forward is probably not going to look all that much different than the structure of what we have right now. And there is always the possibility that we continue to play out a rather normal winter while negotiations continue. I'm not a labor law expert, but I'm going to play one on the radio show because I had to delve into what this law school did you go to. <laughs> I was in the law firm Dewey Cheatham and Howe. That's the <laughs> that's the firm that I was. But um, my understanding is that when things are collectively bargained, that just because the agreement ends doesn't mean that you have to have a work stoppage. You don't have to have, in this case, it would be a lockout from the owners um, or you don't have to have a strike as you get to the end of an agreement from, from a, a union. Um, you can continue to work uh, according to the, the national labor relations board under the current agreement until you agree to a new one. And the NBA had that happen for, I think it was something like two years while they hammered one out um, where they played under an old agreement. So that's possible. I think the lack of action is going to be more a result of if there is a lockout, that there will be a transaction freeze as part of that, like we saw going into the 1995 season. Remember the players struck at the end of 94, what people don't remember is that once the calendar flipped to 95, it was the owners who locked out the players then at that point. And that's what extended into the first part of, of the season canceling. What was it? 18 games in 95. I think they played 144. So, so I think that there's, there's that part of it. And if you remember back to, there were some transactions that were made that were kind of on hold. I love the NBA. Like when you make that deal on draft night and you can't announce it for like three weeks, like yeah. that was kind of what happened. So so I think that that's probably more likely what you would see happen if there is a work stoppage. But I can't I, – I don't see there being that significant a change to the structure. I mean, the roster sizes are 26. They've already 
negotiated that, right? I mean, that was supposed to be in play for 2020. Um, that And that was a concession for reducing the number of players that could be up in September and knowing that the options were still a result. And, and I think we agree that 28 players in September is plenty, right? We don't need the 40-man rosters anymore um, for it. So, I mean, there's, there's advantages to that. So they've already negotiated that part, and I don't see that changing any. Everything that we're talking about has to do more with the financial structure of the game, less from cap and floor, because that stuff's not going to fly. What it'll be is more like service time, um, minimum salary, um, whether or not players can get to arbitration faster or not. There's been some talk of, of you know, the idea of players hitting free agency a year too early, which I actually think benefits owners more than it does the players. Um, so there are a couple of other things that that are being discussed that are more strategic in that realm as opposed to having some sort of massive change that would completely turn around the way the system looks. Now, if there's a work stoppage and it gets nasty and we're, you know, a year from now and haven't played a game, then you might see some significant changes to what the the financial structure is going to be. But I think that the right now the shots that have, have been um let or, or I shouldn't say the shots. The the ideas that have been thrown around from both sides are probably from the margins uh, of the the maybe the most hawkish owners and the most hawkish players, and the the actual proposals will fit much more likely along the current lines. Yeah, I'm just hoping. I mean, let's Me too. There's so much money out there. This isn't like when we were little kids in the 70s or the 80s. The amount of money that is out there. You'd just be stupid to screw this thing up. I understand negotiations and everybody wants their piece of the pie, but any 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 skipping of games, especially when there's still a lot of people out of work because of the pandemic, and there's billions of dollars out there, it just wouldn't. It would be such a bad look. What are we doing here? I agree, and I think it's from both sides. I mean, the money that's coming to owners is significantly more, as is the money from players. And I think that that's part of the issue that we have is that, you know, maybe there are – I mean, listen, the, you can attest to this working in Oakland. I can attest to working in, in Phoenix. You know, the, there's a lot of difference in the revenue that comes into the teams versus what happens in New York. But you're never going to even that all the way out. And why are the Yankees going to give up all the revenue that they make to everybody? This isn't the NFL. We're not playing once a week. We don't have just one, you know, national TV contracts that you can split 32 ways. There's going to be a regional aspect to this. Um, and, and from the player standpoint, like, Listen, some of the issues that get a lot of attention, like the service time issue, I agree that that the best players should be on the field faster. I think as a fan, you want to see that. But we're talking about this impacting one, maybe two players a year. It's a, it's impacting the elite level players more than it is the rank and file. Hell, if the union really wanted to fight for the rank and file, they would try and ensure that if play, if teams valued service time, that they valued every year of service time. Because the number of non-tenders that are going on the free agent market help to drive down the price for other free agents. So it, it, all of these things you write are, are very much first world problems. And the ugliness of a work stoppage, you know, we remember 94 and 95. It was awful. We probably got a healthy dose of a reminder of what that was like in the way that the two sides fought in 2020. It is beyond absurd to me that these two sides would not come to some sort of an agreement, even if it's just a temporary agreement based on the bounds of the current collective collective bargaining agreement that would allow them to stop playing games in 2022. I think it is so beyond foolish 
for all of the reasons that you outlined. And now here we go into the postseason. Everybody is zero and zero. And I even look at the wild card teams, whether you talk about the Dodgers, you talk about the Cardinals, Red Sox, Yankees, it's anybody's game at this point. If you had to bet on one team right now, I'm putting you, you're going to go a little north, and I'm putting you in a sports book in Las Vegas. <laughs> and you got to put your money. Hey, we've on got one at Chase team. Field now, but I'm not allowed to bet on baseball. I'm a, I'm a team employee. Come on. Well, if you were not a team employee, let's say you worked for the Arizona Cardinals and you were able <laughs> to bet on this, who would you put your money on? Sons and four. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tom Chambers is not walking through that door. Um, I think, I, you know, I, I've been on the White Sox bandwagon for a long time, and I really like that team a lot. They're healthier. They've got a question, I guess, at the back of the rotation, but the bullpen is actually kind of sneaky good when you start getting down to just the big arms that they have. So you've got Hendricks, Kimbrell, Kopech, Crochet, Aaron Bummer, who threw the heck out of the ball the last uh, month of the season. I think it's a really good team. I think, you know, Tampa Bay is has got tremendous arms, but there's a good chance that they start four rookies in the division series. I think those guys probably from a stuff standpoint can handle it, but I don't like their depth of arms as much as I liked it a year ago. Um, they're, they're a sneaky good offensive team, but I think that against swing and miss pitching staffs, you can have some, some success with them. I think Houston's the most complete offense. I think the White Sox have the most complete pitching staff. I think that to me is where the, the uh, American League champion comes out of is that series. Can you imagine Tony La Russa? At his age, and we just we just had Tony on the program when the White Sox were in town, and we've dealt with Tony for years because of Arf and his relationship with the Athletics. They were saying he's too old; he's not going to be able to lead this team. Can you imagine your prediction, Tony Larusa taking the White Sox to the World Series? Well, I, I like to think that it's Jose Abreu that's helping to take the White Sox to the World Series, and Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito. I mean, I think it's their talent that has helped to drive it. I think Tony has pushed the right buttons, and I think he's one of the best managers of a bullpen in a postseason series that you're going to find. I think even, I don't think any of that has changed. He basically created sabermetric-based matchups in the bullpen. Like, you can thank him and Rick Honeycutt for three-hour and 20-minute games. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that, that's like, that's where it comes from, is from Tony. So... I think Tony, with a good bullpen and solid rotation, has so many weapons at his disposal that it just makes it easier to manage. And plus, I mean, I love that division series for him and Dusty together. I love Dusty. Dusty's one of my all-time favorites. Dusty, to me, should be there should be a category for baseball's Hall of Fame that encompasses entire careers, and Dusty should be in as player, manager. Everything he's done in the game it warrants that. Plus, he's the coolest human being that ever lived. And, and like, they, they have a history together, too. And so, I, I'm, I mean, I, I think that that series is fascinating. And you guys see it. Houston's offense is just, like, they don't look like anybody else. They're what everybody else is trying to get to, right? They get on base. They don't strike out. They hit dingers. They're, they're really, really good. And so, um, you know, that's going to be a challenge even for a team with as good a pitching staff as the White Sox have. And listen, that's not to discount the Rays or, you know, I, I don't think that, that either the Yankees or Red Sox are quite as good as those other teams. But once you get to the tournament, it doesn't matter. The best team doesn't always win. 
you love this earlier this season. So what we did was it would be me leading it, but we'd get Ray Fossey to talk to a legend. And we did basically 45 minutes with Dusty Baker when he was in town. And I oh. got to, I got to cover Dusty back in the day, uh, days when he was with the Giants. I'll never forget when he came back from prostate cancer. He said something I'll never forget. Tomorrow is promised to nobody. But we had Dusty Baker on for 45 minutes. It, it was really, really special. And we've been talking about expanding the playoffs. And I know hardcore baseball people hate it. But. When we talk about the NFL, we talk about the NBA, the NHL, college football, college basketball, hell, we can go into golf. When you've expanded stuff, it doesn't lose in revenue. It works for television. And we've got a team that has 106 wins playing in a wild card game. Do we need to think about that going forward? Um, I think regardless of whether or not we need to think about it going forward, it's definitely going to be one of the things that's discussed most significantly um, on uh, in the CBA, because you're right. It's, you know, like, like let's, let's focus on what's really important in extended playoffs is that means more revenue. I mean, that's what it is. The TV contracts are designed to, um, at least the one specifically with ESPN that they have is designed to, um, you know, pay out more based on an expanded postseason, which benefits the owners and and theoretically benefits the players if the players change a little bit the way the share of postseason um, revenue goes. So I think, you know, to me, I think that it's almost a fait accompli. I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't, I mean, I like watching the one game playoff because I like the drama of it, but I've never been a fan of the idea that, you know, I used to use the example, you could have a team that's separated by seven games from another lose in a one game playoff. How is that fair? Well, it's 16 games difference between the Dodgers and the Cardinals and the Dodgers could go home. I mean, the Dodgers basically have proven that they're a great team all season long. The Cardinals played great for three weeks you know, and found themselves in that game because of the nature of the National League this year. So I I don't like the current format in that regard, but I also don't love the idea of including seven teams in each league. I think it's a lot. But I think the other thing is, and this is this is where I, regardless of what ends up happening, can divorce myself of it. There's two different things that are at play here. The major league regular season is the grind. That's the that's the Premier League, right? Like that's the there, we should do more to honor those teams that finish with the best record over the course of a 162 game schedule. You know, it's a grind. Like it's diff- it's a completely different beast than the playoffs. So we should be more in line with like celebrating the Giants and what they've done for as long as we possibly can. And then also, there's a tournament, and there will be a tournament champion. And that's who wins the World Series. It's just, it's completely different. The more teams that you include, the less your chance is, the the fewer chances you have to actually crown the best team other than the team that plays best over the course of the tournament. And that's that's where how I separate it in my mind. Well, let's end on this. You know, we talk to every single manager when they come into town, but there's only one guy that wants to do it by video. And he wants to be in person. That's Tori Lovello former Oakland athletic. And ever since we got to know him down at the winter meetings in San Diego, he always wants to be on video. He wants to see us. I I know it was a rough year down in the Valley of the sun, but I got to tell you, we were so happy here from an A standpoint because we really like the guy. The fact that he is coming back because we know he's a bright mind. 
He's a terrific leader. Sometimes things just don't work out and your team is not good. It's not his fault. Just talk about Tory coming back there with the snakes. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm sure that this will be judged with a grain of salt because I am a D-backs broadcaster and employee, but I think even if I took off that hat on the national level and getting to know him as well as I have, I'm a huge Tori Lovello fan. I mean, he's one of my favorite people that I've come across in baseball, if not my favorite, um, because he is one of the most genuine human beings you've ever met. His level of care for anybody he meets is unbelievable and you can spend 10 minutes with him for the first time and feel like you've been friends for forever because he just cares about knowing about who you are as a person you know i think he's a pretty solid strategist who's gotten better especially on the offensive side he's gotten much more aggressive in trying to take advantage of matchup opportunities this year something he didn't do i think he could probably do a little bit more i think it's difficult to evaluate his bullpen management skills because he hasn't had very good bullpens but I think you, the fact that you saw a team that lost 110 games and didn't have, you know, somebody told me, I'll use this as an aside. Somebody told me years ago, we were talking about a pod race team. And I'm going to say Andy Green was the manager and they, they have their run differential was like that of a 105 lost team. And they ended up losing like 92 games. And I was talking to a scout about this and I was like, man, like they, they play hard. And he said, man, minor leaguers always play hard. Tory had a lot of big leaguers on his club. He had some guys who were getting their first taste of the big leagues. But he, he also had a lot of guys that were major leaguers that played the entire season, guys that had several years in the game. And they continued to play hard all the way through. They continued to try and make adjustments on the mound. I think that speaks to his character and his leadership that he didn't let this miserable season, and it was miserable for him, get him down to the point or get that clubhouse down to the point where they, they stopped trying. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I thought it was a well-deserved contract extension. I think any team would be foolish to cut ties with a guy like that because I think he just stands for everything that you want an organization to stand for. So I'm thrilled for Tory. I'm really, really happy for him because I know he he really believes that at some point they're going to win a World Series in Arizona and that he's going to be the manager for it. You know, I don't know if we're going to have a winter meetings. I mean, who knows? Sounds like as of yesterday, I heard that they were going to happen in Orlando. Like we're going to be able to travel and be a part of it? I mean, apparently. Well, I just, I can't wait till we can all see each other again. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's been weird. Like, like, you know, all of a sudden, like Eric Nadell showed up and you're like the Hall of Famer. And we had him on our, you know, because we do our show from the field in Oakland. And, you know, we hadn't had anybody show up in so long. It was like shocking to see another broadcast. Dude, I went to the All-Star game and it was like, it felt so cathartic to be able to go and be there. And I'm going to do ALCS and World Series for Sirius. And I'm excited as much to get out on the road to see people face-to-face yeah. as anything. One of the reasons why, I mean, I love doing baseball. I'm assuming it's one of the reasons you do is baseball people like to talk and they like to talk about baseball. And there's a lot of downtime. Yeah, and that can get annoying when you're standing around waiting, but that downtime is generally filled with building friendships and relationships. It's a very big extrovert sport you know, for those reasons. And, and I think it, it's, you know, I miss all of that, all of that. I miss seeing you. I even miss seeing Cody. Like, I miss well, seeing let's be you really guys. like, really? That's how desperate things have gotten. <laughs> you know what? I can't wait to buy you a beer. I can't wait to drink it. 
<laughs> well, you be well, my friend. And I can you tell too, you man. now that it's the off season, I'm getting up early and playing golf. You know, I'll be listening. You guys truly are my favorite show. Well, I appreciate it, man. It's good to talk to you guys. Enjoy the playoffs. And, and, you know, when we say something goofy, make sure you text about it. Oh yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, pal. Take care. Be well and be safe. See you later. Yep. You guys too. Take care. The great Mike Farron from Sirius XM, the MLB channel. What a great guy he is. He is such a good guy. So Orlando, huh? It was supposed to be Nashville, but I guess they are changing it. I, I don't. I don't know. Well, we we've got to get on the we've got to get on the phone because we're going. Yeah, it's supposed to be sometime in December. I don't. Dude. I've been to Orlando multiple. You, you, you. Are we gonna hit- I've, been, I've done a lot of Florida, by the way. I've done a lot for a guy that has grown up in California his entire life. I have done Miami. I've done Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, St. Pete, Orlando, Jacksonville. I mean, I've, I've been, I mean, I guess the only big part of the state that I haven't been to would be the capital, which is Tallahassee, where the Florida, the Florida state Seminoles are, but I've, I've done Florida a lot and I've been to Orlando a couple times, not a fan. It's basically, it's in some ways, if you understand like Southern California, where there's Disneyland and there's, you know, SeaWorld, and there's all of this. They have all of it there, but it's on steroids. Like SeaWorld in Orlando, and I actually stayed at the hotel. So a couple times I went and covered the uh, the big PGA Tour convention that's in Orlando every year, the merchandise convention. And we one year we stayed at the SeaWorld Hotel. And the thing is massive. I mean, it's got it's all it's got a whole water park with water slides. They don't have that in San Diego. I mean, Disneyland in Anaheim, man, they got Disney World. Disney World is it's its own city. Universal Studios, it's as it's like it's its own city versus what you see down in uh God, where's that? I just went there too not too long ago. Was that Burbank? Is where Universal Studios is? Uh I think it's Burbank. Somewhere around. Yeah, I've never been to Universal. I've only been to Disney. Universal Studios is pretty cool. It's a lot different from when I was a kid. Now taking my kids there. Um, But that's what Orlando is. Orlando is just theme parks. But really, it's a swamp. That's why they were able to make these theme parks and build all these hotels and make it. it, It's basically Southern California on steroids because it's so cheap. They were given the land for nothing because Orlando is just like swamp. And so, yeah, Disneyland was able to build a Disney World. I've never been there. You like they have that. They have Disney World. I haven't been there, but being in Orlando, they have a freeway that goes out just to Disneyland. That's how big it is. I went there when I was like. My dad claims I was five, but I wasn't five. I remember I was like, two. yeah, all you like Midwest and East Coast people have all been to Disney World. I think I've been I think I was like two years old when my dad took me to Disney World. I, I don't remember anything about it. He claims I was five. Again, if I was five, I remember what happened. But I was like two years old. My dad took me down with my cousin. And I don't know. I've been to Disneyland as an adult. So I'm I, obviously I remember that. But uh, I've only been to Florida once. Uh, my aunt used to live in Georgia. So I went there a lot. 
but I've only been to Florida once. So going to Orlando, I wouldn't mind seeing Florida. Now, now I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to say I never had a good time. I've had some really fun times in Miami. Fort Lauderdale was fun. Uh, I actually had a good time in Orlando. St. Petersburg sucks. Tampa sucks. Jacksonville. All right. But Miami is a whole like Miami, you're in a different world. Throw it's kinda it. like when you go it's kinda like when you go to New Orleans, you're like in a different world. Miami is a different world and it's fun. But it's one of those things kind of like Vegas. You only need to be there a couple days and then you need to get out. But so we need to start working on that. If that's official, I, I was that just, we're gonna have a winter meetings because I can see why they pit you where was it supposed to be? It was supposed to be Nashville, and I just texted with Mike, and I said, so it's supposed to be in Orlando? He goes, that's what I heard. I don't know the details yet, but I'm sure I'll find out more in the next few days. So I'll I'll reach out to him again in a few days and see if he's heard anything. Because Well, whether it's Nashville or it's Orlando, they're open. I mean, that one of the reasons maybe why they're going to Florida is because Florida's open. Florida's open for business. Like, you really couldn't have, like, the winter meetings if baseball's like, we're going to do it in San Francisco. Oh, my God. People would flip out. I just don't understand how the winter meetings could take place because it's a big part where you talk about player signing and all that if it happens after December 1st and there's no CBA. Because usually well, Mike, after. Mike, hey, Mike just said you can still operate under the last CBA until there's a new CBA. According to labor law, I now I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> that is not. That's where almost we need to get our buddy Marty Lurie back on. Uh, who is a lawyer, and we could ask him, hey, is that how that works? I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one here on the program, but I just think, personally, and I'm not trying to, you know, play the law firm of Elias and Townsend, but I just think owners are going to be not, I'm not going to say instructed, I just think owners are all going to know we're not really signing anybody until we have a new CBA. Which owner really is going to step out and say, oh, I don't care about the business and I don't care about our negotiations. I'm going to sign this guy for eight years, $200 million. Don't think it's going to happen. Could there be some small deals where, like Jay Hay, Josh Harrison was only making a million bucks this year. Like, could the A's go, hey, we're going to give you a two-year two year deal for $5 million. Hey, okay, that's not a major deal. But the major signings and the major deals, I think, are going to be put off until you see ink to paper between the players and the owners. I would bet on that. I just don't think we are going to see a Maverick owner go out there and go. And by the way, who is that free agent right now? Is there anybody out there that is that $200, $300 million guy? Because last time I checked, everybody worth their salt who is in their prime. Because, you know, the outlier would be like a Juan Soto, uh, a Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette. I mean, how many guys are out there that, like, you're? it's a free agent where you say, that guy's getting $300 million. Is there anybody out there? 
the only guy that comes – he's not going to get $300 million, um, but he's still pretty young, and he's entering the prime of his career. And I, we've talked about it before, and we, I think I know the perfect fit for him. I think Carlos Correa is going to get the biggest deal out of anyone, and I think it's going to be. I think he's going to go to Detroit. I think it makes too much sense for him not to go to Detroit and be back with AJ Hinch. But I think, but I don't think he's going to get three hundred million. I think he can get close. No. To, I think he can get close to two hundred million though, because he's only going to be twenty-seven. And he, puts yeah, up, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. I, you're right, but he's. I mean, this year was a pretty good year for him. He had a seven. He had a seven. A plus seven WAR. 25 homers, almost 100 R. He had over 90 RBIs, a two run 280 batting average. You're plays good give defense. Carlos Correa over 200 million. I mean, look. I mean, no, no, nothing against Francisco Lindor, but he got 340. And he and, how's, like, and, and, and you know yeah. what I say to that? How's that working out? <laughs> how's that working out? I mean, the, the the other guy that's like, there's rumors going out there that I've heard before, uh, and I'll bring it up in buying or selling later. Uh, Javier Baez, his name is. There, people are like, oh, he can get 180. You're going to give him 180 million dollars at 29 years old, he, and he strikes out three oh. times as much as he walks. Oh, I just anybody who's giving out these contracts is a moron, and that's where Mike is so correct. And we've talked about it here on Ace Cast Live. If I was a business owner, I'd rather pay a guy in his prime than pay a guy who's at the end of his prime and into his mid to late 30s. Those deals do not work. Like right now, Juan Soto, what do you want? What do you want? I want, just pick a number, $280 million. All right, I'm going to sign you 10 years, $280 million. And guess what? The contract's up when he's what, 32? Yeah, 32. And if I want to walk from him at 32 where I say I tip my cap, kind of like what, you know, NFL teams do with quarterbacks. When I'm done with you, done paying you, I can, you can move on, even though Tom Brady got the last laugh last night. Um, but I, I'd much rather pay Juan Soto through his 20s and early 30s than wait you think you're saving money like, oh, I got this guy for nothing right now. You're going to have to pay the piper. I'd rather pay him now. I'd be that ruthless owner. I would I would pay you. I'd make you a multi-multi-millionaire right now. I'd overpay you now, get the best out of you, and then once I know you hit 32, 33, I'd be, you know what? That's great. The Yankees are now going to pay you. Good luck to you. Thanks for everything. And when you stink it up as you hit 34, 35, 36, some point we'll bring it back. I'll retire your jersey. We'll have the day for you. Given like the Albert Pujols contract is the dumbest thing you can do. Unless what we saw at one point when guys were on steroids and guys were on PEDs, oh, by the way, they could have career years at 37 and 38. That wasn't real. We got used to that. And we thought, oh, oh, yeah, man, this guy, 36 years old, he's got 37 home runs. Well, there's a reason. Now that they can't do that and the testing has gotten way better, these guys don't perform when they get into their mid to late 30s. It's very rare. I mean, think about Albert Pujols, who's a legend in our game. You had to basically tell him to walk. 
he wanted to play, and he and you're like, oh my, can you have the heart, the heartache through that? I would never want to be a part of that. But you got yourself into that because you signed a guy who was how old was he when he signed? Twenty nine, thirty, something like that. Uh, he would have been. That was what 2012. So Pulhos was. Let me pull it, pull it up for you real quick. It, it you know, to build off that while I looked that up, you know, there's a there's a really fascinating case study going off of that right now too. There's three old guys in baseball that had really good years, and one of them already resigned with the team, and two of them are interesting. The Giants already resigned Brandon Crawford to a pretty team friendly deal. I think he's making two it's for two thirty years. But Brandon Belt is out there, and I told you last night, Hembo thinks he can get over twenty million dollars on the free agent market, and he, Buster Posey's another what, one. What's he smoking? Uh, Pulis was thirty-two when he signed this when his first year in L.A. He was thirty-two. Yeah. Oh God. Hey, and as much as everybody's like, I can't believe we, you know, I, I will agree. Allowing Marcus Simeon to walk was a mistake, but Marcus Simeon is thirty-one years old, and a guy who plays every day. The odds are not saying he's not going to be a terrific player, but at some point, Marcus Simeon will not be the same guy. And Signing him long-term, do you think he gets a long-term deal? And that's what I think about Starling. Starling turns, I didn't realize it was he turns 33 like this week or next week. I haven't checked his birthday, but it's coming up. How many people are going to go, yep, I'm paying that guy five years? We'll see. It's going to be an interesting offseason. Well, it's always sad when we have the final Bob Melvin show. It just is. And Bob will be on with us throughout the offseason, but it won't be every single week. Here is the Bob Melvin show right here on A's Cast Live. It's the Bob Melvin show right here on A's Cast, brought to you by nestbedding.com. Love where you sleep. Use the coupon code Oakland to get 10% off your entire order. We're talking bed, bedding, you name it. Use the coupon code Oakland to get 10% off. Go to nestbedding.com or go to their stores in the Bay Area. Bob, I know I know you're disappointed. A tough year because you really wanted to be in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, any year that you the season ends, it feels like feels like a death almost. And you know, with the expectations we had for the team this year, this this one hurts probably more than any other. Um, when you get bumped from the postseason, that's that's a horrible feeling. But when you don't make it and you have a team that you feel like should make it, then it makes it really hard. And I I really feel like this is the first team we've had here since I've been here that I felt like was a postseason team and, and we didn't make it. So that's really disappointing. Uh, you feel really accountable for these things and you feel, feel really bad for not only our players and staff and everybody with us, but our fans as well because they had higher expectations for us too. You know, down the stretch, when you think of like August, late August into September, why do you think you guys weren't able to get it done? You know, we were just too streaky, and we just didn't match up in all our facets, really, other than the 13-game win streak. You know, we'd get some good pitching, and then we wouldn't hit. We'd get some hitting, we wouldn't pitch. At times, we, you know, we were consistent with our defense, but even that uh, let us down at times on certain games that if we played defense, we would have won. So we just didn't match up along the way, and we were, we were too streaky. You know, you win three games in a row, and you follow it up with losing three or four games in a row. 
it's tough to to get some consistency and feel good continually, uh, especially in in August and September when you're trying to get to the postseason. Yeah, we talked about that all year long about how streaky this team was. So when you're managing a team that is that streaky, how do you manage the streaks? Well, you you try not to to get too caught up in them. I mean, you know, we as a coaching staff, we come in every day the same. Whether we had a, a big win or we had a big loss, we come in the same every day. Our work ethic, what time we get here, how we go about our business with the players, and we try to, to, to get some consistency that way. And our mantra has always been the only thing we can do is, is take care of today and win that particular game today. So that never changes. And it's harder to do sometimes when you have losing streaks and you've lost four or five games in a row and the feeling isn't as good. But that's something we've always tried to do here. So that never changes. And so we don't try to say, okay, we need to do something different here if we've lost three or if we won three. You know, obviously there are expectations, but in the end, you're still 10 games over 500. How do you put that in perspective? You're not happy it did make the postseason, but yet you did still have a good season. Yeah, but not you know just not good enough. It it we we had higher expectations than ten games over five hundred, and the record really doesn't matter. It's, it's whether you get to the postseason or not. I would rather get to the postseason at six games over five hundred than than not in twenty games over five hundred. So, um, you know, it's just it is what it is. It was a, a disappointing season for all of us, and you know, look, we this is probably the first year that we I I believe we've underachieved. Uh, you know, getting to the postseason and, and next year, these guys are going to have an edge. We talked about it, you know, yesterday about coming back here with a little bit more of an edge and expecting even more. Yeah. What is that like when, cause you know, it's been years since you haven't been to the postseason. What was that conversation like between you and the players? Well, it was an empty feeling, you know, at when we were finally, uh, you know, put done and and we knew for the last three games that we weren't going to the postseason so that's not a feeling that we've had here for quite some time so that was kind of empty and then you know after the last game you know there's not much more you can say that all our guys have the same feeling and the same expectations so I just told them you know look this this is the year that we didn't get to where we wanted to be that uh, you know, if you take anything away from this year, it's the group that we had and the experiences that we had together, and how much everybody cares for each other in this team, and use this to fuel next year. So it was pretty brief after the season. You know, we'll have some guys going away. Obviously, we still have a great group of core guys here. We feel like we get to the postseason next year. So I didn't need to say much. Uh, most of us are thinking all the same things. You know, when I think about the Chris Bassett injury, we don't normally see EMTs come onto the field, and it was very gruesome. I know it affected you a lot. We could see it on television. How much do you think uh, losing Chris Bassett, what he means as a leader, what he means as essentially your best starting pitcher, losing him, how that affected the rest of the season? Yeah, there are guys that resonate more than others and certainly no more than him really here in this clubhouse, so... You know, that bit us for a little while, but it's it's not an excuse. You know, we lost Loriano. I mean, how many injuries do we have? You know, Piscotti and Moreland, and we never had Trevor Rosenthal from the very beginning. We lost Andrus and Lowry and everybody at the end. We had so many injuries, but that's not an excuse because we still feel like we have enough guys here to, to get to the finish line and get to the postseason. Um, but losing Bass, that, that hurt us for a little while. I mean, you know, you put things into perspective. You see a guy laying there going to the hospital. It's all we could think about 
during that game. And now you just want him to be okay and be able to come back and be healthy again. You know, he makes his way back to pitching again. That was remarkable. Uh, but certain guys, you know, it, it bites you a little harder than others. But we'll never use that as an excuse. So uh, it's onward and upward. You know, when when you look at your starting pitchers, they gave you the most innings in Major League Baseball. It, it's kind of hard to believe, but yes, they did. And a lot of these guys, this was their first full season pitching the entire season, if not like a guy like Cap pitching in the big leagues for really the first time. How much do you think you guys can grow off of that? Yeah, well, look, they these days they had an edge from the very beginning. They're really close, and they push each other. So it didn't surprise me how it ended up, you know. And you say, you know, it, it does maybe doesn't feel that way, and you know, to an extent, maybe not. But you know, and then you hear that maybe the bullpen was worn out. But how can the bullpen be worn out if if the starters gave you more innings than anybody anybody else's team? So. Um, yeah, I think going into next year, these guys will even push each other a little bit more. Um, obviously, we make some changes to try to, you know, over, you know, make the, the pitching in totality a lot better. But, you know, you have to look back at Bryce spots during the course of the season. This is definitely one for us. The starters should feel very good about what they accomplished. And you think about Frankie Montas. He's the first A to reach 200 strikeouts since Barry Zito. And he's now been named, it's official, the AL Pitcher of the Month for September slash October, going 3-0 and with a 2.19 ERA in six starts. Just talk about the growth of Frankie Montas. Yeah, Frankie's fantastic. I mean, you look at him now and you say, you know, this makes sense, and it does. But he had to go through some tough times in his career, too. Uh, some injuries early on, certainly the suspension and so forth, had to work his way back. That mentally can bite you a little bit. Um, and then, then didn't get off to his greatest start. I mean, he had a decent start, went through a really tough stretch where his ERA climbed almost to five. I remember that day in Texas when he gave up eight or nine runs. And then to finish where he did and culminate with pitcher of the month, he has to really feel really, really proud about what he accomplished. And, you know, you look at him and he's big, he's tough, he throws hard. Um, you know, there are a lot of great things that he should feel about going into next season. And he's going into next season thinking he's coming in as an ace. And I think we have probably three guys that should feel that way. You know, when you think about your bullpen, a lot of people, oh, they wore down. Just what do you think happened at the end of the season with your bullpen? Uh, you know, if I knew that for sure, I, I'd have a better answer for you. You know, it, 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 it things are contagious on teams. And, you know, I think we went into maybe around the two-thirds mark of the season where we were the only bullpen that had not given up a lead after eight innings. And then it just kind of caved in on us, and we did it a lot. So, you know, it's just I think it can get contagious like a team that doesn't hit or a team that doesn't field well or whatever. Uh, you go in maybe with a little bit of doubt. You want to be that guy that, that stops the trend and maybe put a little bit too much pressure on yourself. So um, it, it's puzzling the way it happened from such, you know, from, from being so good to, to having a difficult time there for a while. Um, but I know our front office will look at that and try to make some changes and try to better our bullpen and, you know, sustain it for, uh, for a full season. You know, the betting average around Major League Baseball was down to levels of 1968. And you just wonder about making contact, making quality contact. How do you, and, and, and obviously you don't want to be a true, uh, true three-outcome team. 
How do you think you can change your lineup and get guys to have better batting averages and make more solid contact? Well, I think one, we start to look at Matt Olson and, and the changes that he made. Yeah. You know, the year before he struck out at an incredible pace and went in the offseason saying, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of striking out. I know I have power. I know I have a good eye. I know I walk, but I need to put some balls in play. And when you put some balls in play to the side of the field where they're shifting against you, uh, that, that's a pretty good start. So I think a lot of our guys probably need to identify, look, it's okay to put the ball in play with two strikes. If you're late and on top, you know, there's some holes over there. And I think just a great roadmap for that is just how Matt Olson went about his business. So hopefully a lot of guys look at that. We'll, you know, Darren Bush and, and, our, and Eric Martins will identify that and try to resonate with our guys. But I think there's no, uh, no better guy to look at to, to combat that than Matt Olson. So for you, Bob Melvin, I know you don't watch a lot of the postseason or really the World Series. Like, how long does it take for you to decompress and get away from this season and Ugh. enjoy life for a while, vacation? How long does that take for you? Uh, some years more than others. This one's going to be a little bit tougher. Um, you know, it's I do watch some of the postseason. I don't wrap my day around it. It's just hard to watch because you, you feel like you should up? be there. But I'm a baseball fan, and there's certain games I'm going to watch. And um but not dedicate everything to it. And, and, you know, you have to try to decompress and, you know, think about all the things that potentially you can do different going into the next year. And then you got to let it go and you got to ramp back up and feel positive and feel good, you know, the months before spring training starts. So I don't think there's a set date on how long it takes. I don't have any vacation plans at this point. Um, so we'll see, but uh, I know that this, this season's not going to sit well for any of our guys, and they're going to come into spring training really hungry next year. And then that's what's interesting is, like, when do you start getting hungry and going, I can't wait to get to spring training and let's do this all over again? Yeah, always after the holidays. Once the holidays are there, and usually kind of around the time that you go to the winter meetings, I'm not sure if there's going to be winter meetings this year, but once you're around all those people, the discussions are being taken, the, the you know, the the – hot stove or whatever leagues going on and talking about changes for, for each and every team usually happens somewhere in December. And once you get past uh, the first of the year, then you're really hungry to get back to spring. And let's end on this. And I know we've talked to multiple people about this. Are you just happy in some ways that we got a season in and you see what happened with AAA and, and the Reno aces and the Las Vegas aviators, the last four games of the season, just the fact that, you got a full season in with still COVID that's out there and rampant in our country. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, and you're right. And you have to have perspective in that. And I think we did a really good job in it, in, in, you know, in, in, in staying away and, you know, really just ballpark hotel, realizing it was still out there knowing that, that it, it could be a factor in where the team goes. If you do have problems with COVID, so I think we did a nice job of that. And, and I'm really, really, really enjoyed also the last two games here. You know, after losing like we did to the Mariners, to be able to, to walk off in front of good crowds and our fans, reward them a little bit, uh, you know, for a disappointing season. It felt like kind of old times here where, you know, where we, we walk off and, and our fans are such a big part of it. So I'm glad we left in that respect. 
So I think getting to the finish line, whether it's COVID and in those last couple games here at home, make a little better feeling. But it, you do have to have perspective and understand that it was difficult to get through the season. And I think we did a pretty good job with that. Well, you're the best. And I know how much you care about all of our fans and what you do for us here on A's Cast Live and A's Cast. We're going to miss you. I know we'll talk to you during the offseason, but we're going to miss talking to you every single week. And uh, we appreciate everything you do for us. Enjoy the offseason. And I think I can speak for the fan base. We can't wait for the 2022 season. Feelings mutual across the board, what you do for us too, Townie, and how invested you are in us and in your being in our fans, how invested they are in us. It's it's great feeling to know you have that kind of support from not only you, but but our fan base, and, and you're exactly right. They're looking forward to a really good season next year, as are we. And that's the Bob Melvin Show, brought to you by Nest Betting. Check out their locations in the Bay Area, or you go to nestbetting.com for all your betting needs. Whether you're talking about the bed, or you're talking about pillows, whatever you need, you go to nestbetting.com and use the coupon code OAKLAND to get 10% off your order. That's use the coupon code OAKLAND to get 10% off your order. That's the Bob Melvin Show, brought to you by nestbedding.com. Love where you sleep. You know, I try and tell the callers this on the A's Clubhouse Show. You don't realize how lucky we are to have him. We are really, really lucky that Bob Melvin is our manager a guy that cares about the fan base. He cares about you. And he's a winner. And he grinds. And he gets these guys to play 27 outs. He doesn't have the best players. But he gets everything out of what he's got. Yeah, they're not happy they didn't make the postseason, but they still won 86 games. I just, I, I hearken back to Bob Guerin. I mean, I mean, we are so lucky what we got. And I know some people go, well, he didn't do this and he didn't do that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Everybody's an armchair quarterback. But I think in the end, you have to realize the right guy for the right job. And I hope to God he stays here until he wants to retire. Coming up next, Sarah Langs from MLB.com. <laughs> She's the best right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course, one of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. That's right. From the town. Which town is that? That's interesting, but it's from the town. (laughs) People will really never know what town we're in. You don't know what town I'm in. You don't know where I am. I could be anywhere. I could be in Orlando, Florida for the winter meetings. You don't know. Is Sarah calling us? Yeah, I, I told her that I let her know when the call, so she didn't call us while we're in the middle of a commercial break. So, just let her know that. By the way, um, 
I didn't know that you're, you're that tight with Adam Wainwright where you call him Wayno. What, I do? Although that's that was, that's Sarah's. That's uh, Sarah. That's all. She's, like, that t- she's that tight with yeah. Wainwright? So what I, Wayno? What I sent to you, that was what Sarah wanted to talk about. She called him Wayno. I, he's he's Mr. Wainwright to me. I'm, I'm his. He's an elder to me. And there she is. How are you? It has been a while. Oh, my gosh. It has been. I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, we're not doing well. It's been kind of a, this is kind of the, you know, the exit meeting day. We got to have Bob Melvin on before he talked to the media. So I don't know what he said to the media, but you know, Bob was like, this is the best team he has had in Oakland that didn't make the playoffs. And I think where, you know, I keep bringing up this date, August 12th, Fangraphs had us at 62.5% to make the playoffs to, to being eliminated. Um, things just didn't work out and kind of sad as the A's were looking to make the postseason for four straight years in a row. I mean, you can hang your hat on winning, winning 86 games, but when your expectation, Sarah, is to make the postseason and you don't, I mean, you're there in New York. I'm sure the same thing with the Mets who led for so long. It's, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. It is. You know, I I think it's a tough day in that respect. And, you know, I I mean, if I can try to bring some positivity, I think it's great that the A's have built a team where there is that disappointment when you don't make it. I mean, I think even going back a couple of years before this sort of run under Bob Melvin, you could say that there wasn't necessarily that expectation, or I certainly wasn't aware of it in the same way. So it's almost good to be in that echelon of teams that are disappointed when they don't make it. And of course, every team is bummed not to make it. But there are certain teams that enter a season not necessarily expecting to be in that boat. So, you know, that'll be my attempt at a positive spin for that. But I loved watching this team all year, and I'm definitely bummed not to get to watch them moving forward here in October. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of moving parts, and we just don't know what those parts are going to be because, in my opinion, I don't know what you're hearing. And we'll talk about the playoffs because that's the most exciting thing. But going into this offseason, I had a lot of callers who said, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, you know what? Until they get a CBA done, I don't know what's going to happen. Yep, it's a good question. I mean, it does definitely feel like that's sort of hanging over what we're waiting to see happen with free agents and, you know, even just arbitration moves and everything else with these different teams. I haven't really seen any reporting on all of that over the last few months. It feels like we kind of had some, you know, things that the Jeff Passons and Ken Rosenthal's of the world were reporting maybe around July-ish, but we haven't seen much since then. So I would expect that that'll all, uh, you know, start to ramp up, whether it's towards the end of the postseason or after that. But it does feel like, you know, we're kind of wondering what all is going to happen with certain free agents, but also waiting to see what's going to happen with that and how that's going to cast that in a different kind of light. So we look at this postseason and we look at the wild card and you think about the Cardinals and the Dodgers, you know, it it makes me just scream, which I have done for a while about expanded (laughs) postseason where I've looked at it. I look at the other sports, having worked in the NFL, worked in the NBA, expanding playoffs is never bad for business, but you know, for the Dodgers to win 106 games and it being, it was bad enough when like, would the Yankees have 100 and 101 wins and we had 97 that one year at Yankee Stadium? Yeah. That was bad. But 
winning 106 games and you only get a one, that is bad. It, it certainly feels like an argument for whether it's an NBA kind of alignment where you just go one through eight, one through 10, you know, however many teams you've got or valuing winning the division even more, valuing wins in total. Uh, it, it definitely feels like an argument in that direction. But I would also say that the Dodgers are so much better than the Cardinals and you never know what can happen in a single game. But I'm expecting the Dodgers to win that game and then they get to the NLDS and it's crazy they would be facing another team with one more win than them. But at least they would most likely get to that point. But I know it's been a popular topic of conversation, especially today, uh, you know, and just seeing all that the Dodgers did this season. So we'll see. But, you know, this is unlike anything we've ever seen before, as you know, just with that exceedingly high win total. And who would thought that, you know, hey, who's the, who's the old guy? Oh, yeah, we're going to put the old guy on the mound. I mean, we've Wayne, got- right. I mean, who would I mean? And he signed a, a contract extension. It's it's amazing how well he has aged. He has aged so well, and it's been such a fun season to watch. But we've got two older guys going in that game. I mean, I know Max Scherzer hasn't been announced yet, but it seems like all signs are pointing uh, towards him starting uh, that game for the Dodgers. And this would be just the second winner-take-all game in postseason history where both starters were at least 37 years old. And uh, the other one was in 2001 between the Indians and the Mariners in ALDS Game 5, and it was Jamie Moyer. You knew Jamie Moyer was going to be on this list. This is the type of thing where, as I introduce it, you know Jamie Moyer is going to be there. He was like 84 years old at the time. I mean, it's just insane. So he was 38 and uh, Chuck Finley was 38. So that was the uh, that was the matchup and pretty crazy uh, that these two guys are going to join them. And I think it's only the seventh postseason game ever between two guys at least that old. So, you know, but they're also the best options for their teams, which I think is a testament to them, the seasons they've had and modern medicine, the way guys are able to recover these days. And you look at that game, I mean, the Dodgers finished well. Obviously, what the Cardinals did late and that great winning streak, I mean, it's a crapshoot. One game to move on. We'll see. I mean, you know, I I really am expecting the Dodgers to win. I do think that Max Muncy injury, you know, if anyone wasn't, there were so many games to keep track of yesterday, so I don't blame anybody who missed it, but Max Muncy injuring his, I think, elbow on a collision with Jace Peterson at first base, that was really a bummer to see, and it seems like he's going to be out, you know, depending how deep they get into the playoffs, at least for those first few rounds. And I do think that really hurts a team that has had a disappointing season from Cody Bellinger and not a typical Mookie Betts season out of Mookie Betts either. But I still think the Dodgers win this game. I just think they're so deep and they have the potential to be so explosive. But again, you never know. I mean, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. I mean, just even thinking of the Cardinals, there's they could do it. They absolutely could. But I just would never pick against Max Scherzer in a game like this. I don't know if you've heard the rumors, but Major League Baseball is petitioning to have the Yankees and Red Sox wildcard game be a seven-game series. Have you heard about this? <laughs> oh, my god! Every game is going to be on ESPN. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, 
I know. You know, we got a series out of them, obviously, pretty recently back in 2018, the year you were actually referring to with the Yankees winning 100 games and being a wild card that year. And of course, the Red Sox went on to win the World Series. But it's going to be really interesting. I mean, it feels like just recent results and everything else it feels like the Yankees are going to win that game in part because we've seen them in this wildcard game so many times recently and they're always winning it but also because they went into Fenway Park what was that two weeks ago and swept the Red Sox facing Evaldi in one of those games and I just think that when Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge are playing the way that they've been playing for really about the last month and throughout the season for them it's really hard to see any team beating them. But the Red Sox have had such a fascinating season. No one was even picking them to make the playoffs. And I know they kind of blew a division lead and it probably comes away as a little bit disappointing of a season when they are in a wild card game and they were leading for so long. But ultimately, if you look back to preseason predictions, nobody even had them here. So I do think they deserve credit for that. And Alex Cora deserves credit for that. I look at all the teams in this tournament. Can you make a case for why every single team could win the World Series? I think it's absolutely possible. I mean, you know, the Dodgers and Giants cases are easy, right? I mean, these were two of the most dominant teams we saw all throughout the year. Uh, I don't even think I need to go that much further on them. They've both shown the depth and just ability to win in pretty much every situation. I think the Brewers, it's really predicated on starting pitching. And those top three that they have with Corbin Burns, who very likely may win the NL Cy Young, Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta, who are probably all going to finish top five, top seven in that Cy Young voting. I know the Devin Williams injury is obviously a bummer for them, but they still have Josh Hader. And I do think that team still has a really great chance. You know, looking at the Cardinals, if they beat the Dodgers, I think all bets are off. I mean, that is the type of team that we've seen just go on a run. They literally just did it. So there's no reason they can't do it again. I think the Braves are probably the toughest argument to make. But even still, the fact that they're standing here heading into a division series, winning the division after losing Ron Acuna Jr., not getting a single from Mike Soroka, losing Yanoa for about three months of the year. I mean, they've overcome so much, and I don't see why not. And there is no team in baseball that has a leadoff hitter like Jorge Soler, and that is just an outstanding wild card to have. And, you know, heading over to the American League, I think we know what the Yankees are capable of. I think that bullpen really puts them on a different level especially in competing with the Red Sox and just those other teams in the American League. The Red Sox offense, we've seen Rafael Devers. I mean, he got them to the postseason yesterday uh, with his two home runs yesterday. And the White Sox, I think, are really good. I, I had to pick earlier today whether I think the White Sox or the Astros are going to win that series. And I, I said it's going to go five games. And I think I picked the White Sox. And now I'm questioning myself. I think really? both of those teams... I don't know. I mean, I love that offense. Wait, eight fans will love that. We hate the Astros. So pick one. I figured that would land here. I figured that would land here. But yeah, I mean, (laughs) the Astros are underrated. There's no question they are. But I, I just think that that White Sox offense and their top three, I know there's some questions with Rodon. He came back from injury and was throwing uh, significantly less hard. 
But even just with Giolito and Lance Lynn, I think they're in a really good spot. Tim Anderson, you guys saw him, you know, in the playoffs last year. Obviously, the A's beat them, but it wasn't for his lack of trying. He had nine hits in that series, three games, nine hits. I mean, just crazy. So I, I think and that their they bullpen, hit. everybody coming to that pen is blowing smoke. Yes, absolutely. So did I go through all the teams? I was trying to go through everybody. The team you didn't mention. Yeah. The team that. You know, it's kind of been oh, a, mere, yeah, a mere image of us. Yeah. And they're no day at the beach. And there's something about, I mean, I don't love what I hear out of there where everything is so scripted. But, I mean, the Rays are really, really, really tough. Absolutely. I, I can't believe I skipped them because they're the team I picked to win the AL pennant. I mean, really? I really think that they are the best top to bottom. I think everybody, it's funny. I think everybody thinks that they're being super clever when they pick Wander Franco to be like the dark horse postseason hero, the World Series MVP and what have you. But I don't think it's that clever because they think everybody's doing it. I mean, we've seen him. Obviously, he tied that on base streak for players 20 or younger. It was Frank Robinson, a Hall of Famer, that he tied 43 consecutive games. And he's been really good. I mean, even that series against the Yankees, I know they lost one nothing yesterday. But they made the Yankees have to wait until the last day of the season to clinch that playoff spot. And he had big games on both Friday and Saturday. And it just seems like no moment phases him. And it's amazing to see a top prospect come up and be the top prospect, play like one of the top young players in the league. So I really think that he could be that X factor that they didn't have last year. I know they had Randy Rosarena on a crazy run, but I feel like Wander Franco is an even more complete player and kind of gives them that added edge. Yeah, Rosarena had like that Carlos Beltran run when Beltran was with the Houston Astros years ago, and they end up losing to our guy Jeff Blum and the uh, Chicago White Sox. But there's something about the Rays. There's something about when you go to Tropicana Field, the places I've been there, it's awful. You're in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is so boring. I mean, it's a retirement place. And you get into that arena, and it's just dark, and it's just nasty. And they're tough to beat. And that's why, I mean, you can go lineup for lineup. You can go guy for guy. You can go all of that. But there's something about the Rays. There really is. And it's amazing that they're doing all this without Tyler Glass now. You know, I I think we forget that that injury and everything, he's been out since, what was that, early June just about? I don't think he's pitched since then. And I would say that at that point when that happened, I figured that was it, you know, and a different team was going to be the best team in the American League and they were really going to fall out of it. But, I mean, the fact that they have the ability to call up Shane Boz here in September and have him be a really key contributor you know, and of course he was famously the throw in in that trade with Cody's Pirates. And, you know, we know what happened with Austin Meadows. I see him. I see him nodding his head, shaking his head. Hey, Cody, how are the Pirates doing? How, how's that rebuild going, Cody? We got O'Neill Cruz now. So that's all that matters. Oh, you're only 29 games out. So what are you, 61 and 101? Hey, we're building a bully in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh stinks. And that's the thing about the Rays. It's like, Every guy they bring up is tall, lanky, throws a hundred. I mean, yep. it's, it's, how do they get all these guys? Can we can we borrow some of these guys? It's unbelievable. 
I mean, it's just such a testament to scouting and, you know, just their baseball ops in general. But I think the A's really had a had a stretch where they had similar types of players that they were bringing up. And I really think that teams like them have the ability. We know how good, you know, that baseball ops department is, how good the scouting is. They have the ability to be looking for those guys. And they're kind of in that same market echelon, whatever you want to say, you know, not necessarily going for the big free agents, but looking maybe deeper on some of these other guys. I mean, a player like G-Man Choi would not be as close to an everyday player on any team other than the Rays, you know? And it's almost like him, as opposed to these tall guys throw 100 and everything else. To me, that almost more perfectly encapsulates who the Rays are. And it's what the Giants did this year, too, in terms of knowing exactly when to use a certain guy and really playing to guys' strengths. So... We'll see. I mean, it feels like there are some reasons to believe they could be better than last postseason. And again, just to bring back to Glass now, he didn't even pitch that well for them last postseason. So it's not that big of a loss when you're looking to October because what he was doing was throwing 100, but giving up a ton of home runs. And now that's not going to be happening. They have Shane McClanahan throwing really hard. They have all of these other guys coming out of there. Michael Walker looked good yesterday. I mean, I really thought Michael Walker might keep the Yankees from the postseason. I would not have predicted that entering the year. All right. So you said you picked the Rays to win the AL. Who was your NL pick? I picked the Dodgers. And, you know, I, I was going back and forth with it. I wasn't Did so you sure. Tell your mother that. Oh my gosh. She'll see it on MLB.com tomorrow and she'll text me how everybody's against the Giants and I'll be like, they won 107 games. No one is underestimating them. I was just looking at that five game series and I picked it to go five games and you know, we'll see. I mean, the Dodgers were in a lot better spot before Friday, before Clayton Kershaw and Max Muncie both got hurt. I know the Kershaw narrative with the postseason but ultimately the fact that it sounded like from everything he said post game they're not going to have him in October but then again they can go to a guy like Tony Gonsolin and there's no other team that can necessarily go that deep in terms of starting pitching you know we haven't even talked about Julio Urias for most of the year and you know I don't put a whole lot of stock into wins but he did win 20 games he did have a great year he's going to get Cy Young votes and he was the linchpin for them in the postseason last year. I mean, he put together some really clutch performances. So I just, again, if there's a team with Max Scherzer in the playoffs, I'm going to pick that team. I picked him to be the World Series MVP. We'll see what happens. It's only, what, October 4th right now, but that was what I had. But I wish that Giants-Dodgers could be an NLCS, and obviously that would require, uh, you know, re reorganizing how all of this works. But I wish that could be a seven-game series. I understand all these national guys trying to link Billy Bean and Bob Melvin to the Mets. I know both of them very well, know them personally. Uh, we, we recently had a long interview on the field with Billy Bean. It was about, Cody, how long was that? About 40 minutes we had Billy on? Yeah, around 40 minutes. That's pretty long. Yeah, so uh, I've known Billy Bean since basically 1997. And Billy has always said, the reason why he turned down Boston, a lot of people don't know he turned down L.A. A lot of people have come to after Billy over the years. Because Billy wants to go, so he lives in a place in the East Bay called Danville. 
And he goes, I want to be able to go down to Starbucks and drink my coffee and no one bother me. And when he wants to be a celebrity, Billy Bean, because of Moneyball, he's on the tour. He's a speaking tour circuit, and he speaks. He makes a lot of money off of that. And, you know, the Moneyball thing, I just can't imagine. I know John Heyman saying this, and then somebody else says this. I'm like, Billy at this age has, a, has made so much money. He doesn't need the money. Um, Bob Melvin, we talk to each week. I know Melvin is a Bay Area guy. I don't know what the national guys are thinking. I just can't imagine Billy Bean going, and I know the relationship with him and Sandy is so strong. I just can't imagine at this age with what he's built, his legacy, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, that he would show up in New York and go through that daily grind. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I do think that it's probably the relationship with Sandy Alderson that's really informing a lot of that. And, of course, at this stage, I mean, they just said today that they're not uh, picking up the option with Luis Rojas. You know, we're just starting to get into this season of rumors and conversations about all of these different positions. But I, what the way I see it is just that it's the Mets job. It's New York. It's so high profile. And I think the instinct is just to connect the best people that are out there to a job like that, because you have to figure that an organization like that is going to be looking at guys like that. But I agree. I mean, I, I obviously, I don't know them as you do, but I, I can't imagine Bob Melvin, you know, a Cal guy. My mom went to Cal. We talk yeah. about that all the time. I just can't imagine him here on the East coast, but you never know. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of reasons to see that the Mets job, you know, whether it's the baseball ops or the manager job, any of those there, it's definitely ripe with a lot of opportunity. I think there are going to be a lot of changes with that organization over the course of this winter. Um, they have a lot of decisions to make Noah Syndergaard, Michael Conforto, whether they're going to give them qualifying offers and really getting into the free agent market, the second off season where they have Steve Cohen's pockets to work with and everything else. But, you know, as you mentioned, there's also that daily grind. There's no question that, there is some quality to doing something like this in New York that is just different than most other places in baseball, most other places in sports. And, you know, only these guys can know whether that's worth it to them. And I, I certainly can't speak for them in that respect, but it does seem like the Mets are going to want one of these high profile names, but there's a laundry list of those names. You know, there are so many different directions. I've already seen Theo Epstein's name, across my Twitter a couple of times uh, this afternoon. And honestly, over the last couple of months, as things have gone in this direction for the Mets. So it does feel like that is the level that they're trying to work in. So Cohen obviously steps right in and he's the richest guy in major league baseball. I mean, he's worth a bazillion dollars. How would you evaluate his first go around in major league baseball? What kind of owner is he? You know, I mean, it's hard to know because I think that, you know, we don't really know all that goes on behind the scenes. You know, we really only see the uh, the external results. Right. So we see giving money to Francisco Lindor after that trade. We see the fact that he has this Twitter account where he tends to put his opinions out there, everything else. But, you know, I mean, the team really suffered from the fact that Jacob deGrom got hurt and their pitching depth was not necessarily where they wanted it to be. I mean, Marcus Stroman had a great season for them, but I think beyond that, there were a lot of holes in that rotation. And, you know, I, I hesitate to directly 
you know, connect that to him. I mean, there was this narrative early in the year that they shouldn't have paid Lindor and he wasn't playing well. He ended up with nine home runs in September, which tied for his most in any month of his career. And he really played much better in the second half. And, you know, they went out and made a big trade at the trade deadline, which I think everybody thought they needed to do. I thought they might have needed a pitcher. I don't think a Max Scherzer would have gone there. That was reported pretty early on. But getting Javier Baez, Baez had a great start to his Mets career. And now the question is whether they choose to re-sign him. So I know it's a disappointing season for them, but the entire NL East was disappointing for a number of different reasons. Again, for the Braves, I think it was more injury-related than anything else, which puts it a little bit outside of their control. But I really think that in a lot of ways, this offseason will be the defining one because here you're making a managerial hire. You're making some sort of baseball ops hire, whether it's GM, president of baseball ops, whatever that position is going to be. And you're making a decision. Are they going to give a lot of money to Javier Baez after also doing the same to Francisco Lindor and, you know, figuring out what the direction is going to be for the next handful of years? Well, it's going to be interesting. By the way, are you uh, taking the Dodgers to win the World Series? Yeah, I am. Dodgers over Reyes, which we saw last year. That's a good. Have we ever had that where you had back-to-back teams face each other? It's a good question. I need to look into that. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, I'm thinking of how we had Warriors, Cavs. What was that? Three straight years? Three straight years. Like, did the Braves and Yankees hook up multiple? I know they hooked up multiple times, but in back-to-back seasons, the same teams? I got to check. I mean, that even happened, like, with the Buffalo Bills going four straight years. They always had somebody else. I mean, the same two teams back-to-back years? I'm trying to figure out while we're talking here. I'm looking um, just at those 90s because I feel like, oh, you know what? We definitely had the Dodgers and Yankees in back-to-back years in like the 50s. That had to have happened Um, just even pre-divisional era, everything else. I'm pretty sure um, that 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 happened in a couple straight years. It looks like we had the Cardinals and the Yankees, 1942, 1943, um, and then the Yankees and the Dodgers um, looks like there were a couple back to back like that. Yankees, Dodgers, 1955, 1956. Um, and those that's definitely not an all inclusive list, but that, that's a handful of them. Just but it tells you how long those. ago that was. Yeah, yeah, that what definitely. We're seeing that if that happens, uh, this is pretty amazing. And yeah, to have the. Have the Warriors and the Cavs hook up for those years. I mean, you kind of knew it was always going to be that collision course between the Warriors and LeBron, but basketball is a different animal. Uh, yeah. Baseball, you're a complete team. You need a lot of different people, uh, but it's going to be fun. And when you know, we got to have you on during the postseason. You can't, you can't go away from us this long. I'm here. I'm here whenever. You guys know how to reach out to me, and I would love to. I'm so glad that you guys are doing shows throughout the postseason. And, yeah, I would love to come on whenever you guys want. You know, it's so funny. It's like everybody yesterday after the game, everybody's saying goodbye. And, you know, our next spring training game is February. Our first spring training game, I guess, like February 26th against the White Sox. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to be here. We'll be here through the playoffs, the winter meetings. We'll get you through the start of the year all the way to spring training. A's cast live and A's cast never goes away. And you'll always be a part of our family. 
Thank you so much. And I love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so funny. The end of the regular season has all of that ending energy, but it's a, we're also just getting started here. And I'm so glad that you guys get to cover the postseason on here as well. And let's end on this. Mother's a doctor. Is she feeling better? She's feeling better. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, we want to see people getting vaccinated and, you know, continuing to make those decisions to help just, you know, public health overall. But I do think she's starting to feel better. You know, I was just talking earlier. I wonder we'll be able to, you know, more confidently not be wearing masks and everything else. But uh, I do think, I mean, we're in a much better spot than we were if we were talking on the day of uh, entering the postseason last year, which I think we were. I think I was at MLB Network and you guys were trying to figure out where I was on the video. I'm having this flashback and I was like in some <laughs> random uh, There's like office. a clothing rack behind you. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. I'm having a flashback to that, but uh, we are definitely in a better spot than we were a year ago. So, you know, well, thank goodness to science for that. Eight. Let, let's be honest. Our AAA team, the Las Vegas Aviators, and the Reno Aces, they were up in Reno. We don't know which team got it. We just know the last, I think it was the last four games of the season was canceled because oh, of coded protocols. So it's like, it is still out there. It's still ongoing. And, you know, I know how much your mother was worried and she was worried about us having a season. And the fact that we got this season in, I mean, and we just talked to Bob Melvin. We said, yeah, it sucks that the A's didn't get in, but I think it was really uh, I mean, knock on wood, the, you know, the best part is we did get a season in and we're going to get this postseason in. Absolutely. And I mean, just think about where we are compared to uh, that conversation entering the postseason last year. We had just finished 60 games. We'd seen a lot of stoppages and issues. I know there were definitely some games uh, postponed or, you know, pushed back this year because of COVID, but not nearly on the level of what we saw last season. So the fact that we got 162 games is just outstanding. You know, this is where we want to be. You are the best and we will be in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, Sarah Lang. She is the, she's money in the bank. One of the best follows on Twitter that you will find. Now, she always messages me on Twitter after I think we need to tell her my my Twitter account has been suspended. Yeah, I'll, I'll let her know. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Wash a call. Uh, you know, because they, they you know they took me off Twitter because of all the crazy things I did. You know, all I do all I do is talk politics on Twitter. Well, so hey, they had to suspend me. I, I we should have told Sarah, but um, if she's wondering, Instagram's back up again. Instagram, Facebook, and something else were all down for like five hours, but they're all back now for people wondering. I mean, I'm just joking. The only thing I ever did on Twitter was promote our broadcast and talk A's. Yeah, and you got banned. Maybe Twitter's not an A's fan. <laughs> You've just reached 504. Uh, Wash. Acuna. Marcus. Hey, speaking of the Braves, the incredible run they went on, the one that won the NL East. Uh, man, hats off to Snitker and, his, and Wash and our friend Walt Weiss. What they did down there, uh, Antopolis, what he did at the deadline, bringing in a bunch of outfielders, Rosario, Solaire. Um, hey, look at the difference. They've got 88 wins. They got just two more wins in the A's. But yet the Giants and the Dodgers have 107 and 106. Brew Crew's got 95. They won the division 
with 88. So look at the division winners. Tampa, 100. White Sox, 93. Uh, Astros, 95. Brew Crew, 95. Giants, 107. And here they won with 88 wins. But guess what? They're in it, and they got a shot. And they didn't have their best player, uh, their best pitcher. Uh, their best pitcher this year is a guy that's over 35 uh, what is more than 37, 38 years old. So they've done it with a bunch of, you know, patch, you know, patchwork work done by their GM and, and this guy's play. Their infield has been incredible. Uh, your guy, Austin Riley, uh, should get some MVP votes for how well he played. But uh, yeah, you weren't, you weren't big on him. Well, he, he had a good year this year. Wash told me to give him a call. So here we go. They don't start their series till Friday. Yeah. The times just came out for them too. Just reached five Oh four, four, four. Uh, give Wash a second. I'll tell him it's gone to voicemail. But yeah, the, I just got a t- uh, the tweet just went out about the the games. Uh, the first game for them will be on Friday. It looks like at three uh, thirty seven our time. If I'm reading this correctly, where are you seeing that? It's from MLB Communications on Twitter. Oh, I can send you the. The tweet. It looks like it's uh, a four thirty-seven. No, that can't be right. Okay, the postseason schedule actually is on MLB.com. All right. So we have wild card Yankees Red Sox will be at five oh five our time tomorrow. Wednesday will be. This is perfect. Our shows from one to four on Wednesday. Yes. Can we get someone from LA and someone from St. Louis? I could try to, depending on what their schedules are like, but I could try to. I got someone from Tampa already. Our good so, friend our good friend Dave Wills. So five ten on Wednesday for Cardinals Dodgers. Thursday will be the AL wildcard winner versus the Rays in game one. And then after that they haven't given the times though. They uh, don't have it on the times are not on MLB.com. I have It'll it right here. Ice Sox and the Astros in game. So what 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 time is the game on Thursday? The White Sox Astros is at one oh seven our time, and then Yan- then Yankees Red Sox whoever wins versus the Rays is at five oh seven. Uh, the Braves Brewers game for Wash is at one thirty seven our time, so four thirty Eastern on Friday. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna let's get it on. Best of five. Ron, Hello? how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. How you doing? Uh, we were just talking about how we're ex- uh, Wash, how excited we are for you guys. Uh, it, it was a crazy National League East, but what's it like as your group to finally, in the end, win that division and get yourself into the postseason? Well, it was uh, a very pleasant moment because uh, even though we were struggling to get on track, uh, we never lost faith in each other and knew that uh, we were the best team in the East and um, eventually the best prevailed. Well, no doubt about it. And, you know, I, I think about that division and just kind of how crazy it was. There was that time where, like, every single week there was someone different leading, you know, whether it could be Philly, New York led for, you know, quite a while. And then here you guys come. Just talk about just how crazy the division was this year. Well, it was real crazy. 
seemed like nobody wanted it. And as you mentioned, the Mets and the Phillies, uh, they had a chance to run away with it when we were struggling, but they let us stay around. And to explain to you exactly what that was like, you would have had to been here with us to understand how wild that was. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden our pitching came together. Um, Our offense and pitching started working as a tandem. And our defense just went to another level. And we got on a roll, and good things happened after that. You know, when I look at this series coming up, this is going to be a pretty good battle uh, with starting pitching. You know, some series were so concerned about the bullpen. But talk about your starters against the, the Brewers starters. This is going to be a good series. Well, hopefully if uh, everything works the way it's supposed to, it will be a low-scoring series. Um, you know, we really feel like uh, even though, you know, we had to almost take it to the end to win our division, that we are a very good club and we can play against anybody uh, that plays the game of baseball that's left. So um, we're excited and we're looking forward to it. We know what the Milwaukee Brewers offer, but, uh, you know, we offer a pretty good game too. So um, we just got to go out there, play nine innings, uh, see who makes the least amount of mistakes, see who do the things that need to be done. And when it's all over, we'll see who won. Talk about how Austin Riley really came into this season. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to get MVP votes, but just talk about what he did for you guys. He's very special. Um, He's young. You know, I think he's 23 years old. He's strong. He's quick. He has power. uh, And he has tremendous aptitude. Uh, he learns, he applies, you know, and, and I just, a matter of fact, I just finished quoting the MVP, but <laughs> that, that's what he brings to the table. Uh, he's a special young man um, from a great family, uh, very respectful. Um, everything you want to see in a kid, um, uh, Raleigh has. And, um, you know, the word on him has been always when he repeats a league that he's ever played at, he was dominant, and um, he repeat, repeated the, the major league season this year in 2021, and he didn't dominate the league, but he certainly was one of the better players in the league. You know, you've been to the playoffs so many times, whether it's been as a coach, as a manager. What do you think the key is for a team to have that winning ingredient to win in the postseason? Continue to do the things that the game asks you to do, you know, uh, because usually when you get to this point, uh, the pitching is pretty good. So it's going to come down to who makes the, the most mistakes. Uh, it's going to come down who execute the best. And that's what you have to do in the playoffs to have a chance. You have to take advantage of opportunities when they're given to you, and you have to try to limit the opportunities that you give to the other team. You know, when I think about the Atlanta Braves and I think about that area of the country, obviously they love football and Georgia and Georgia Tech. And I think about the Atlanta Falcons and, you know, the Braves had so much success for all those years where they won the division for 14 straight years. Now with the new ballpark and the winning that you guys have done, what's it like there for Braves fans? Have you guys taken the town back? Well, I wouldn't say we've taken the town back, but I can tell you this, that Atlanta Braves fans are Atlanta Braves fans. Um, it doesn't matter 
Uh, they don't come to the ballpark just because you win or lose. They come to the ballpark because they love the Atlanta Braves. That's what I found out in my past five years being here. They are true baseball fans. So if we, fortunate enough, we was one game away last year from getting into the World Series. If we are fortunate enough to uh, continue to play baseball the way we play it down the stretch, I think our chances are very good. And we may give them an opportunity to hopefully uh, bring a World Series here. If not, they know that they did see some tremendous baseball, and that's what they come for. And I think you guys got to be thrilled. Freddie Freeman got off to a really slow start, but he finished really, really strong. And when you got your veteran leader who is is going into the postseason hot like him, you got to feel really good about that. Well, no doubt about it. And uh, Freddie is definitely our leader. And, um, you know, he shows up every day and he certainly leaves it out on the field. In turn, he gets everyone else that's between those lines and on that bench in the same frame of mind. So uh, you're right. He got off to a bad start. And, you know, that happens in this game. You get off good or you get off bad. And But with his abilities and his know-how and his leadership, uh, he certainly showed these guys through our trying times uh, how to fight. And that's one of the reasons uh, we ended up taking the division back. You know, we always talk about how this really becomes a tournament. And baseball, other than the all-star break, you'll just get one day off. You know, I there was like, what, we had a 17-game stretch with the A's. We had two 16-game stretches. What is it like now? You're not going to play till Friday. Obviously, you're going to fly to Milwaukee. But what is it like having this much time off? And what what do you guys do as a coaching staff to make sure that the guys are ready to rock come game one of the series? Well, you know, having these days off, there's certain times that pitchers go to the bullpen and, and work. So what we've done today, and we will do again tomorrow, and we will do again Wednesday, uh, we'll have a couple of those pitchers that need to throw throw live BP. And um, that's the way we keep sharp. We, we run hitters up there. Uh, you know, we're going to do our ground balls. We're going to do whatever preparation that we've been doing. But the offensive side of it, uh, we got our pitchers throwing and our hitters are swinging the bat off of live pitching, not just BP, off of live pitching. Hopefully uh, the, the, the days that we have off won't affect us that much. But we're not the only one that have the same situation. You know, I think about you and your career. Obviously, you love this game, but you also love teaching this game, and you never stop teaching. What does that mean to you to show up to the ballpark every single day and guys want to learn and you want to help them get better? Well, you know, that comes from the people that taught me when I was a young player, when I got into pro ball, how to go about your business. And, you know, you just keep passing it on. And each year, uh, the major leagues get younger and younger, and these kids are coming up not fully ready. So you have to pass on, uh, you know, the, the, the things that was given to you. And now you can become a, a difference maker in someone's life, not only on the field, but outside the field, because you have a lot of conversations other than just baseball. So you become a source. And when you got good kids, they follow. And they want leaders. So I've always been a leader. So I will continue to lead as long as my brain allow me to lead. 
you know, we got a lot of young kids and a lot of ball players who listen to our show. And if you could give a word of advice to any of the young infielders and guys who want to, you know, be great in high school and they want to either go to college or get drafted. And of course, everybody's goal is to be a big leaguer. What's the one thing, what's the one advice you'd give to the young kids listening to this show? Well, the only thing I can say is this. Practice to, to be good. That's not why you practice. Practice is what makes you good. So in the game of baseball and even in life, sometimes you just got to keep repeating things over and over until it becomes a habit. And that's how you form good habits. So practice isn't something you do to be good. Practice is something you do to make you good. Well, you know what you mean to this fan base. You're always going to be looked at as one of the great A's in this family. You know, uh, let's end on this. Can you believe Steve Vucinich retired? No, I cannot. Uh, <laughs> now, if you want to talk about someone that loved the game of baseball and the years that he put in proves that. But, you know, there come a time when that grind uh, just, just gets to you. And sometimes, you know, uh, You've been away from your family so much, and you get to that point where it's time for me to start spending my last days, and that could be another 40 or 50 years with my family. So I'm so happy for him. Yeah, he's a wonderful man. But, you know, you know what you mean to the A's family will, uh, will always stand, and we are rooting for you. So good luck in this series. Good luck the rest of the way. Uh, as you keep going on, we'd love to have you on, and hopefully uh, you'll help lead those Atlanta Braves to a World Series title. Well, that's my intentions, and that's their intentions. And um, until it's played, none of us will know. But uh, I tell you what, we're a very confident group. And I just want to say also, um, I'm very, very happy and pleased and any other adjective that I can find to describe the best in something with those A's fans. I love them, too. Well, be well and be safe and go get them in Milwaukee. Thank you so much. Take care. The great Ron Washington right here on A's Cast Live. Good job, Cody. I always love having him on. Wash is the man. Uh, he's such a good guy. Um, every time I talk to him, I'm all, I always call him. I always call him Ron or Mr. Washington, and he always responds with, "Why?" He always responds with "Wash." So every time he says "Wash," that's when I start calling him "Wash." So uh, he's always really uh, willing and grateful with his time. So it's good to talk to him. And it, I was thinking, I'm like, should we use him or should I save him for later if the Braves advance? And I'm like, the only other guy from the Braves we really know is Walt Weiss. And I was like, we could save Walt for another time because we could talk. Walter. Eight- we can say, yeah, we can talk 89 World Series with Walt. We, we can do a lot of stuff with him. So um, there's plenty of stuff to do. Remember, Walt- I got a great Walt Weiss story from Billy Bean that I cannot tell on the air. Oh, well, all right. And, it, and it's not scandalous. It's nothing, but I just I wouldn't tell it because I just wouldn't feel comfortable. Um, it's a great story, though. Do you, it's nothing scandalous. It's nothing like that. But it's just a great story. I mean, it's a. I would love to ask Walt Weiss about it. But. Well, I think we play we play the Braves next year. I don't remember if it's here or if it's in uh, Atlanta. Hot Atlanta. So maybe you got that. Let me let me let me look. Let me look at the schedule. Twenty. Well, I got to tell you. I mean, and it's real, folks. We don't understand it here, 
we're 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 I mean, we're a soft market. Even though we're everybody says we're a big market, we're a soft market. And you know, down there, you get down to the south, it's about college football. Georgia Tech and Georgia, and Georgia is one of the best teams in the country. Um, college football is king. You're in SEC country, and these football programs are like professional sports franchises. The amount of money these teams are making, it's unbelievable. And they are king. I don't care how good the Falcons are. I don't care how good the Braves are. I can't. I don't care how good the Atlanta Hawks are. College football is king in the South. Nothing beats it. You can have Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Georgia football is bigger. And you might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, that's how it works down there. But good for good for Wash and and the Atlanta Braves. That's the thing about having the 162-game schedule. Would we like to pare it down, as we've said? Yes. But that's the good thing about a 162-game schedule is that everybody gets exposed. You see your strengths. You see your weaknesses. Nobody's perfect. There's very few teams, even World Series teams, that are perfect. Probably the closest thing we've ever seen recently to a perfect team would be the 98 Yankees. That was a steamroller. But most, you know, you you get exposed. And the Atlanta Braves, you know, you would have gave, you know, if we had a a shortened season again, the New York Mets would have won. But the Mets fell apart. The Phillies, at one point, were in first place. The Phillies got over 500, right? Uh, uh, yeah, they were 82 and 80. But uh, at one point, Philly was in the lead. Oh, so let me let me just think about that for a second. So they were 82 and 80, and Gabe Kapler got fired for that. But it's okay for Joe Girardi to go 82 and 80, and he's going to keep his job. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And now Gabe Kapler won 107 games, and he rebuilt. You know, well, you know, whatever. Keep losing, Philly. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, I'm just looking at the standings. How about your Marlins? Remember they made the playoffs last year? It's all that matters. They made the playoffs last year. Uh-huh. 67 and 95. They've been to the playoffs more recently than the Phillies have. You know, we can we can be woe is me all we want with the athletics. But the athletics won 86 games. I mean, look at some of these teams. The Mets only won 77. Uh, Marlins won 67. The Nats won 65. The Cubs won 71. Your Pirates stink. They only won 61. I'm amazed they won 61, to be honest. Padres won 79. Rockies won 74. Do you have any idea how many games the the Diamondbacks won? Uh, yes. They were they – were, um... They lost 110 games, so they're 52 and 110. 52 wins. That's it. Uh, Texas only won 60. Anaheim won 77. 
Twins, people were picking the Twins to win the division. They won 73. Kansas City won 74. Detroit, 77. Oh, my God. Baltimore, 52. So, yeah. Did the A's not get to the postseason? Obviously. Is it disappointing? Yes. But did we sit through 52 wins or 73 wins? No. There's a lot of bad teams in baseball. You know, you, you, uh, yeah, well, I mean, this could, maybe this is the last year we see that, uh, with, if they do something with a, with a salary floor, you tease something on Friday to everyone, um, about how I found, uh, Matt Chapman's batting average against, uh, velocity and I have it. Oh, you were, uh, you were worried that over the weekend things could change. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't because he didn't really he didn't face anybody with velocity in, on Saturday when that game he played. So and Matt, he didn't play Friday or Sunday. Yeah, so he which finished. Was interesting. So he finished with two hundred and two strikeouts. That's the most ever in a season for an Oakland A's player. Um, that was second most in baseball behind only Joey Gallo of the New York Yankees, who finished with a one ninety nine batting average. Uh, Chapman versus fastballs. Um, not now. This is all fastballs, not velocity. Um, 204 with 16 home runs and 119 strikeouts. Matt Chapman versus 96 miles an hour or higher this year. What do you think he hit? Well, I'm looking at it, so it's a bad I'm just going to say it's under 200. 196 with two home runs. And I, I, I have to open up the thing, but it was I forget how many strikeouts it was. And the strikeout numbers aren't great either. Um, so, it, 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 so you asked me to look it up, and I found it. And it just... Man, there's a lot of guys that don't hit velocity, but to be 196 versus 96 or higher when so many guys are throwing that hard. No, he does have two home runs against guys that are throwing hard. He did not have a he did, and he'll tell you. Yeah, that's the best part. He he's accountable. He missed it. He didn't yes. have a he didn't have a good year. It's not like he was like, he'll, yeah, you know, I went out there and hit 26 or 27 home runs. So that's a good year. And I know, I mean, Ken and Vince, their job is you know all of our job is to sell the team. Right. We sell the brand. And I and, and both of them had mentioned to me multiple times. Oh, he hit 27 home run. This was not a good year for Matt Chapman. And at age 28, smack dab in his prime. What did he finish at? 211? Uh, let me pull it up real quick. I, did, I didn't write that. I think it's 211. But 211 with 202 strikeouts. You know, hitting home runs. 210. 210. Hitting home runs. Not that big of a deal when most of them are solos. It's just not. And for a player that believes he should be paid a lot of money, and I know someone called up to the Ace Clubhouse show and was like, they didn't want to debate me, but they just wanted to say, well, hey, look at his war. His war is based off his defense. And his defense is great. He's the best defensive third baseman I've ever seen. And I love Matt Chapman. I love his heart. I love his spirit. I love his courage. But I don't love the amount of money he wants. So buying or selling, Matt Chapman will be in Oakland A next season. I think I said it before. I, I, I'm i going to have to sell. Now, I still have people who call up and go, you know, because people are 
our audience falls in love with players. And I still have people go to the clubhouse. You got to pay these guys. I'm like, you would pay what Scott Boris wants right now? I mean, how much would you pay for a guy that hits 210? And how long are you going to use the hip injury as an excuse? Here's a quote. So so Bob mentioned to us earlier that they were doing the end of the year media session. So it was, it was him, it was Billy, and it was David. And Shana Rubin, this is from her Twitter, Shana Rubin of the Mercury News, who covers the A's. She said Billy was asked if the core will be kept together. Here's a quote from Billy. I think the idea is that we have some significant players important to the club right now going forward that still have some service time with us. But it really depends on our payroll, to be totally frank with you. And where we are as a club, too, sometimes things aren't made because of payroll. They're made if maybe we need to make changes for the long term. We haven't even talked about any of that up to this point. It will be in the next couple of weeks. So, I, you can read with that however you want, but I, I, it, I don't know. I mean, he's Chapman's 28 years old. He'll be 29 in April of next year. It's not like he's getting any younger. Uh, it's not like he's – I mean, could he come out back next year and hit 240 or hit 270 like he did in, you know, the, what, 2019 or whenever it was he hit – had a pretty good batting average and a bunch of home runs? Yeah, he could do it again. But I mean, last year was a was a down year. This year was a down year. You don't you don't you don't have to pay him. Yeah, you don't have to pay him. He's not a free agent until twenty twenty four. Yeah. So after the twenty twenty three season, now you got to think about it. And if you think he's going to get large in arbitration, you're kidding yourself right now. So you don't have to pay. I don't know why our our fan base wants to just pay people. Sonny Gray, ink him up long term. Do you know how stupid that would have been? Do you know how bad it would have been to ink up Yoannis Cespedes long term? He's never been healthy. Grady won home run derby. I mean, what what? So many of these guys that we our fan base wanted to pay left here and did what? Who left here and was great? I'll give you Josh Donaldson for a couple years in Toronto, but JD's never been able to stay healthy. Like, who was the player that left here? You're like, I can't believe they didn't pay this guy. And who would you have been like, oh, if they would have paid him 10 years. Now, Marcus right now would be that guy. I'll give it to you. But that's recency biased. I want over the X amount of years – who was the guy that left here? You went, oh, my God. Mark Mulder left here, got hurt, career over. Barry Zito left here, went to San Francisco, was a zoo. I, I, I mean, I guess I'll give you Tim Hudson. He went under. He underwent Tommy John surgery, had a long career. Uh, great career, by the way. I mean, he's a guy I guess I'd give you. But there's not many guys who left here. Who went on just, oh, my God, they were great for the next 10 years. Not really. Giambi had his issues. Giambi ended up playing a long time, but Giambi was never the same. Giambi was better as an A than he ever was as a Yankee. Tejada had it. And for that kind of money, Tejada had some good years, but Tejada was – these guys were steroid guys. Yeah, so you don't – and he got hurt. He got hurt too, so. And you can't really – I mean, you can't really look at the, the PED guys. I mean, it is what it is. So, you got to be so careful who you pay. 
But our fan base wants to pay everybody, right? I mean, it is what it is. If there's a guy who's a pretty good guy, it's like, ink him up long term. And then after you ink him up long term, four or five years into the contract, you're now booing that guy going, how do we get rid of him? There's a method to the madness of the Rays and the A's. You want a bunch of long-term contracts on your roster, you'll have no flexibility. I mean, look at the Mets. Just look at certain teams who have money, but they're a zoo. So many years the Dodgers couldn't win. It's always key to do smart business. Coming up next, our buddy Roxy Bernstein right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Oh, we're getting you ready for the postseason. Starts tomorrow. What, what would I say? It's at 5.05 or 5.15? Uh, I think it's like a 5.08 start or something. It's always a weird time for games on ESPN. It's always an 08 time. Yeah, it's a 5.08 start. Did you like that joke I had for Sarah? Oh, yeah, so about that being a seven-game series? Yeah, that baseball is petitioning to make this wild-card game a seven-game series. But would you really, would you be surprised if they really did that, though? Because I wouldn't. That's ratings. Would you be surprised if they just allowed the Yankees and the Red Sox to play the rest of the postseason against each other? <laughs> Until the World Series? <laughs> Hi, Roxy. Hi, Uncle Townie. How are you? I was making the joke that uh, Major League Baseball is uh, petitioning to make the Yankees-Red Sox wildcard game a seven-game series. <laughs> How much do you think Major League Baseball was sweating it out yesterday? Oh, with they're like, The oh Yankees and the Red Sox having to win, and the Red Sox trailing 5-2 to the Nationals in the seventh, the Yankees, a scoreless game with the Rays. Yeah. That Because uh, I did the Yankees-Rays game yesterday, and so, of course, we're keeping a close eye on the scenarios. It was wild. Personally, I was hoping for chaos, uh, which would have been – like, if you'd got the four-way tie for two spots, we would have had just a crazy couple of days here. Or even just a three-way tie for two spots, even if Seattle had lost, which they did. I don't know who runs the baseball division for ESPN, but whoever that is, I would love to put a lie detector test on them and go, would you been cool with uh, Seattle and Toronto in the wild card game? <laughs> wink, wink. Of course we would have. Oh, of course. What a great story. Seattle's been hot. <laughs> but I, I think they would they would have loved the chaos, to be honest with you, right? Because, okay, let's let's say you had a three-way tie for the two spots. And so uh, as I was doing the game with Chris Singleton yesterday, we're going through all the possible scenarios and the three-way tie. So you would have had Toronto playing at Fenway today. The winner of that game would have gone into the wild card game on Wednesday. They would have pushed it back. 
And then you would have had the loser of the Blue Jays and Red Sox at Yankee Stadium tomorrow for the right to play into the wild card game against the winner from the Blue Jays Red Sox on Monday. So that selfishly, I was hoping for that because I would have been doing a game today and another game tomorrow for ESPN radio, but it just didn't work out that way. The, I, I, the nationals couldn't hold their lead and the Yankees decided to score a run in the ninth. I'm with you. I wanted utter chaos. And in the end, what did we get? We got chalk. We got, uh, yeah, we got Red Sox Yankees tomorrow night. And what, 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 are, what, what games are you going to be doing? I'm, I'm done with baseball. That yesterday, uh, the Rays and the Yankees was my last game for the season. So you're now just focusing on college football. Yeah. Yeah. And at Saturday night, I was in Corvallis. I did Washington, Oregon State, and then flew home with the crack of dawn to do the baseball game from home yesterday. Well, I got to tell you, over the weekend, my God, when you look at Oregon losing to Stanford, you look at Cincinnati going in and beating Notre Dame, uh, probably the game of the week that I'm sure everybody in the country was watching my San Jose State Spartans taking down New Mexico State. What a big weekend of college football. Well, they found a way without Nick Starkle. You know, the quarterback getting hurt. Nick Nash goes in, makes the start, and let him do a win. That's I mean, what you're is, looking for. Is the, is, the country, is the country figuring it out that we're building a bully? <laughs> but at Stanford game, what a, what a win for Stanford. I mean, Tanner McKee, it's clear the Cardinal have found their quarterback, right? Yeah. That kid, he took that hit and came back in the game. I was stunned we saw him again. I, I thought when he got hit and he got sandwiched, I thought he was done, not just for the game, but I thought he was out for a while. And he came back and crazy, you know, Stanford needs to go 87 yards to tie the game without a timeout. They did it. They forced overtime and they found a way to win it. That's a heck of a win for David Shaw and the Cardinal yesterday or Saturday. You know, baseball, like college football, anybody can win. And you can say the same thing about the NFL uh, it's different in other sports where you just the dominant teams are going to be the dominant teams. And I we, we talked to Sarah Lang, uh, Sarah Langs about this right now, where we are before we get to the wild card game. You can really make a case for every one of these teams to win the World Series. Would you agree with that? Oh, there's no question you can. I mean, OK, the Cardinals are the second wild card of the National League. They're going to feel good about going into Dodger Stadium. They've got Adam Wainwright taking them out. And Wainwright has had just a fabulous season. And their 17-game winning streak started with Adam Wainwright shutting down the Dodgers and working into the ninth inning of a win. So they're going to have some confidence. And, you know, Max Muncy had to leave the game with an injury. Uh, and how do you like to be the Dodgers, right? You win, what, 106 games? And you got to sit there and play at a one-game playoff for the right to move on and play the Giants who just won 107 games. So I, I don't know if the Dodgers are feeling all that good about what they have to deal with. And then in the American League, look, the, the, the two wildcard teams are the Yankees and the Red Sox. So I think you can make a case there. Now, every team, I think, has some concerns also when you, when you look at the teams. Like, for example, in the American League, the Yankees right now are a little banged up. Uh, DJ LeMahieu just went on the injured list. He's going to need surgery for a sports hernia. Um, Gio Urshela, who I don't know if he'll play tomorrow night, he took a nasty fall yesterday. Um, the Yankees had the shift on and a pop, foul pop that was over near the Tampa Bay dugout. 
and he went sprinting. He covered as you know the Google tracks measured it. He sprinted 126 feet from shortstop, caught it right at the top of the stairwell of the far side of the raised dugout near the third base coaching box. And as he was getting over there, he tripped. And so we were looking at it. The left toe of his spike caught the right heel of his right foot. And then he went tumbling and went barreling right into the bench. And shockingly, he stayed in the game for a little bit, but then had to come out. And Andrew Velasquez had to take over at shortstop for him. But I wonder if the Yankees are going to have him tomorrow night. The Yankees are having trouble hitting and scoring runs right now. Um, they nearly were swept by Tampa Bay in what were must-win games for the Yankees. So I don't know if they're feeling good about their situation. Um, the Red Sox, I, I have questions about their pitching. When, when you look at the, the rest of the, of the American League right now, Everybody's got their pluses. Everybody's got their minuses. And you can say the same about teams in the National League as well. You know, Roxy, just talk about you. I mean, obviously, you just saw them. And a lot of people don't get to see them that often. Just talk about how tough the Rays are. And just they're a matchup nightmare, really, for anybody. Well, you you look at it yesterday. And this whole weekend, Chris, playing the Yankees, they had nothing to play for. Right? They're just out there to play and getting ready for the postseason, and they're grinding away at the Yankees. They hit home runs. They have the best pitching staff um, in the American League in terms of ERA. They were leading the American League in runs scored until they got blanked yesterday. Now I think they finished second in the American League this year. They have really good pieces that fit, and they hit home runs. Brandon Lau's had a phenomenal year. Um, Austin Meadows has driven in over 100 runs. They've got Nelson Cruz plugged into the middle of the lineup. Mike Zanino hits jacks. Um, well, you know what's crazy? Is Randy Rosarena is still a rookie. Isn't that nuts? What do you think of when he burst on the scene a couple of years ago? He's still a rookie by classification by Major League Baseball. And he's going to get some consideration, I think, for Rookie of the Year in the American League. Um, their bullpen, they just come out with arms that are 95-plus, just blowing cheddar. They're, they're going to be very difficult to beat and, and eliminate, especially because they have home field advantage throughout the American League playoffs. Um, I've always thought it is unbelievable and ridiculous that a guy can play in the postseason, set records in the postseason, and you turn around the next year and call him a rookie? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, it ha- it's not baseball's not the only sport that's happened. It. If you remember years ago, years ago, Patrick Waugh, the Montreal Canadiens as a rookie, put him uh, in going, goal you're going way back. I well, I am, but they put him in goal, and he leads them in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, you turn around the next year, and and Patrick Waugh is a rookie playing in goal for the Montreal Canadiens after having a great playoff run. So. You know, this isn't the, the first time or the first sport we have seen something like this happen in terms of a guy have great postseason success, and then uh, he's a rookie the next year. And, I mean, you go back, and Rosarena is still considered a rookie, and it happened with Patrick Waugh way back when, when he broke in with the Canadians back in the 80s. And I still can't figure out how R-O-H – is pronounced wah. <laughs> no, it's R-O-Y. It's spelled Roy. 
But it's pronounced R R O Y. How's that? How's that possible? He's French Canadian. Come on. Truly one of the greatest goalies of all time. So it's not unprecedented for Rosa Reina to still be classified a rookie and have this much success. Well, in the postseason. There's there's something about them that they're no day at the beach. And, you know, um, some people are picking a, a World Series back-to-back Dodgers up against the Rays. And, you know, I'm not going to tell people they're wrong. Well, I think we could easily see that. It, it, there's a, a myriad of possibilities. Like, I'm not ruling, yeah, the Dodgers out. Um, the team that, I, 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 like, for example, Milwaukee, I'd be a little concerned. Because uh, with the Devin Williams injury, that's significant especially in the postseason. We know how critical bullpens can be. And they're not going to have Devin Williams because of that freak injury, which he suffered, you know, punching a wall. And then you have – Atlanta's an interesting team to me because I think they have depth of rotation, guys like Max Free, Charlie Morton's pitching well for them. Their bullpen is shaky. That's the concern I have with Atlanta. But, you know, you figure the Braves were left for dead, right, when uh, Acuna goes down in early July – okay, the Braves are done, but then they're aggressive. And Alex Anthopoulos makes those trades um, and they go get Jorge Soler and they go get Jack Peterson and they got Eddie Rosario. Um, so they got some big bats to help replace it. Ozzy Albies has had a, just a fabulous season. Um, Austin Riley is really coming into his own and emerging as one of the true young stars in the game, a third base for the Braves and Freddie Freeman's Freddie Freeman. So that, uh, to me, I, I think Atlanta, even though they only won like 80-something games, I think they're a dangerous team. If you had to bet on an underdog, who would you bet on? Um, are the Braves an underdog in your eyes? Well, they only won, what, 88 games? Yeah, okay. I, I'd say Atlanta's a, I like them as an underdog, to be honest with you. I, I think that the series with Milwaukee, I think the loss to, of Williams is significant for them. Although they're starting pitching with guys like Woodruff and Burns, they, they've been fabulous all season. So that's going to make it tough. But I, I'm really interested in the Brewers-Braves series. I might be one of the only people <laughs> that's going to be glued to that series, but I think that has the potential to be a really fun series to watch. Well, and, you know, I feel like Will Smith could be in the A's bullpen with all the home runs he gave up. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's walked the tightrope, and, and he's been a little bit of an adventure at the back end of games for the Braves. So – you know, you look at that bullpen, and there are some questions, and that's the thing, is, you know, not just Smith, but you look at also, okay, Luke Jackson's pitched well for them down there this year. Uh, Tyler Matzik's had a really good year. They picked up Richard Rodriguez from Pittsburgh. So they have capable arms, but at times it's been shaky, and at times it's been tough for Brian Snitker to get the final out to the back end of the bullpen. That's my concern with Atlanta is the bullpen because I really like their lineup one through eight. They have length. They hit home runs. Um, they can really put pressure on the opposition. And I, I like that lineup. It's just the bullpen is the big question for the Braves. Yeah, I just had to go to baseball reference to check it. Will Smith gave up 11 home runs. Now, people would say, hey, he had 37 saves. He was 3-7 and seven with a 3.44 ERA. That's yeah. your closer? Yep. I know that's it makes it for some Maylox moments there. You know, you might need your thumbs near the end of games. If you're Brian Snitker. So you're just your college football now. That's it. Yeah. And I have a TV bye week this week. So I'm doing national radio. 
I'm heading to Auburn for Georgia and Auburn on Saturday. So you can speak to this. Okay. Some people might say, what is Townsend now? I said, listen, Braves, Falcons, throw in the Atlanta Hawks. They are not as popular. The most popular thing when you get down there into Atlanta and into Georgia is the University of Georgia and Georgia Tech. College football is king. Oh, no question the SEC. I mean, just look at the size of these stadiums, right? I mean, it is insane how big these stadiums can be. So, um, yeah, it, 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 there's, there's no doubt it is king, and that's what uh, drives it. And, you, look, Auburn's going to have 90,000 people for the Bulldogs and, and Auburn Tigers, War Eagle, on Saturday. Sanford Stadium at Georgia was rocking the other day as they hammered Arkansas. You got 100,000 in Tuscaloosa for the Crimson Tide. So, um, yeah, it's, it certainly is uh, the, the, the straw that serves the drink, as you like to say, Uncle Towney. All right, Georgia, they're what, number two right now? The number two. I mean, where do you put them against Alabama? We'll find out maybe, right, once we get to the SEC championship game. You think they got a shot? Why not? Yeah, I do think they got a shot. If JT Daniels can stay healthy at quarterback for Georgia, why not? I mean, at some point, somebody's got to start knocking off Alabama. This is getting old. I, I am tired of it. And that's, I think, why you're going to see some expansion in the playoffs because it makes Alabama play another game or two, which could make it more challenging. And I like to say this all the time. I mean, you, you really – you can't take it away from them, what they've been able to do. Obviously, Nick Saban will go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, college football coach of all time. But they're not a team that really challenges themselves outside of conference. They don't travel that much. You don't see them really ever come out west. You don't see them go north. They really kind of stay in their hood, and they play a lot of bad non-conference teams. Um, and that's kind of been their MO for years. So they, they really, they're smart. They set themselves up to have a, a, an easy schedule outside of the SEC. And whether you like Notre Dame or you hate Notre Dame, Notre Dame kind of shoots themselves in the foot because they're, they're playing a tough schedule. And they are. And look, Alabama takes advantage of it. Yes, they have the best talent and players. But you look, for example, every year before the Iron Bowl when they're playing out Auburn, right? They're playing an FCS team like Charleston Southern or somebody that it really is no competition. And But they're not alone in the SEC that do that. You're seeing some schools in the SEC branch out in terms of playing teams outside their area, right? LSU went to the Rose Bowl and played UCLA this year. There's some home and homes Florida has coming up with the likes of Cal and Utah. Texas A&M went and played at Colorado this year, or they played them in Denver. But we're seeing some schools branch out. I would like to see more Southern teams come out. Well, Cal's actually, I think, starting it next year, a home and home with Auburn. Oof. Good luck in that one. War Eagle. <laughs> I, I, I asked you, who's the best Bay Area College football team. I asked you, and you went Cal. Do you want to take that back? 
Um, yes, I would like to take that back, please. Can we rewind the tape? And can I? Okay, edit in three, two, one. Right now, you'd have to give the edge to the Stanford Cardinal, Chris. I think they're the best college football team in the Bay Area coming off the win against Oregon. How's that? And I pause, and that's a take. Uh, okay, that's a take. Okay, uh, we can edit the tape from like a month ago and put that in. I got to tell you, I mean, this kind of, I mean, I, I don't know how far Stanford can take this, but we know when Stanford kind of gets rolling, you know, they're definitely in this thing for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 North is wide open. I mean, for the first time in the history of their program, well, since it became the Pac-12, Oregon State is in sole possession of first place in the Pac-12 North. Oregon State, the Beavers are, after they beat Washington on Saturday night, the game I had with Lincoln Kennedy up in Corvallis. So I think both races are wide open in the South now. Arizona State seems to have the upper hand after they won at the Rose Bowl against UCLA Saturday night. Tell my old broadcast partner, Lincoln Kennedy, I said hello. I will do. I will do. And by the way, finally, things are starting to go for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. He's building a bully. It's taken a while. <laughs> Who's got better than us? No one. <laughs> With this sword and this shovel, we will build Levi Stadium. Thank you. And always remember, <laughs> it's going to get real, real, real fast. Well, it's got real Michigan and the Big Ten. Look, it's not just them. He still has that. He's got to take down Ohio State at some point. That that monkey is still on his back, and he. That's the thing that Michigan people are holding over him—the frustration that they have. He might have a better chance to beat Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> than he has Ohio State. Although the Oregon Ducks went to the horseshoe and won. Yeah, it'll be interesting. All right, buddy, we'll talk to you okay. next week. Sounds good, Chris. Okay. The great Roxy Bernstein. What do you got for me, Cody, as we end here uh, right before the 4 o'clock hour? Well, I was literally going to come on and say, well, if you want to talk about uh, Harbaugh building a bully, beat Ohio State first. Beat Urban. He couldn't beat Urban Meyer. Can't beat Ryan Day. They have the right staff. You got to get your players in there. Sometimes it takes a while. Remember Stanford, even though Stanford had, you know, one of the biggest upsets over USC at that time, they weren't a good football team. It takes a while to change things. And Harb, put it this way, whether you like Harbaugh or not, I'm a big Harbaugh fan. I am too, but he's been there since 2015. He hasn't beat Ohio State. Yeah, but look at his team now. What if he rolls Ohio State this year? What if he's in the national championship game? What if he wins the national championship? You won't even care about all those years. He's not beating Alabama. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't doubt Harbaugh. Uh, by the way, you're talking about Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech can't even be pit. So stop with Georgia the Tech. The rumble and wreck that is Georgia Tech. They got they got clobbered by the Panthers uh, on Saturday. Held a pit because they can't even beat a pitching in the ACC, but whatever. Uh, all right, we can do a couple of buying or selling before we end the show. And one of them starts out, uh, one of them is going to be about the, uh, the Giants. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. I've been wanting to do this one for a while. And uh, when I say a while, it's been like a couple days. And I kind of mentioned it to you last night when we, we were watching uh, Tom Brady take down Bill Belichick. Uh, by the way, quickly. Tom Brady. Uh, 28.5 million people watched Bucks Patriots last night, making it the second most watched Sunday night football game ever. 
followed only a 2012 playing game between Dallas and Washington. So second that watch. wasn't the most watched no. Sunday night football game of all time? Nope. Second most watched game ever. Wow. I thought that would have been the most watched uh, regular season game in the history of the NFL. Yeah, me too. Well, we'll see. We'll we'll see if someone else can top it, but I highly I, I doubt it. it that, I mean, we throw the Cowboys and the rivalry with it. Would you say the Redskins? Uh, y- yes. Oh, that Washington, Washington football team. Washington, yes, me. yes. I mean, that's a rivalry. I mean, a playing game is far different than week four. Week four yeah, at, at uh, Foxborough. But uh, anyway. Uh, I, it, it, I, I, what Tom Brady said after the game, I wish I, I could believe. Well, we can get to that eventually, but let's get to this real quick before we get out of here. Not sure if you saw this or not, but Brandon Belt is not going to play for the Giants unless they maybe reach the World Series. He's out with a fractured thumb. He had 29 home runs. That's a new career high, and he only played 97 games. We finally saw the year of Brandon Belt. Now, the Giants haven't had a 30 home run hitter since Barry Bonds hit 45 in 2004. Every team, every team has had at least four since then. The Yankees have had 20 30 home run hitters. Now, Belt had a 975 OPS this year, and over the past two seasons, he owns the third best batting line in all of baseball behind Soto and Bryce Harper. Hembo on Buster's podcast last week called him a star. When asked about how much he could get in free agency this offseason, entering his age 34 season, Buster said executives he talked to compared him to Michael Brantley, who got two for 32, so 16 million a year. Hembo said he thinks he can get more than that in approach or pass 20 million a year. Jeff Passan has him in his third tier of free agency tiers. Uh, so that shows you where Passan has him. Buying or selling, Brandon Belt will get 20 plus million in free agency this offseason. Are you serious? You're asking me that question? Uh, well, hey, if, if Hembo thinks that, you know, Hembo's wrong most of the time. Yelich is better than Trout and. Uh, whatever else he says. Yeah, you got absolutely no chance of seeing that. Yeah. I mean, he's going to How get, old is he? He's like, how old? He's 33. He'll be 34 entering the, uh, going into the season, or he might turn 34 going in uh, sometime next season. Yeah. Somebody's going to pay Brandon Belt at how old? 20-something million? Not happening. Yeah. And he finally had a good year, and he only, and he, again, he got hurt again. He only played in 97 games. Now great, he now great that he had twenty nine home runs, but you've been waiting for that since he got called up in when was his first year? His first year was two thousand eleven. You've been waiting for 10, 11 years. You've been waiting for him to hit thirty home runs, and he finally came close, and he got hurt again. So he's thirty three right now. He'll be thirty four in April on April twentieth of next year. So on four twenty, um, he'll be thirty four. Don't see it. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. Uh, are the Raiders winning tonight? Of course. Four no. Uh, and let's ask John Gruden. So we, we can add to this then. Season opener against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Win at Steelers. We're gonna show Big Ben what time it is. Win. Dolph. Win. Los Angeles Chargers. Man, it's gonna be electric. Win. We can add. I can, I can add that at the end if they win tonight. So we're just gonna keep counting down all these. Yeah. By the way, uh, real quick. Ever since the Raiders, seventeen and oh man. Ever since the Raiders beat the Steelers, oh boy, Wills really came off of there. 
They can't beat anybody. Well, that's what happens when John Gruden comes to town. Uh, Gruden, Gruden's, Gruden's is ruining every franchise ever since he beat them. You got to you got to trust the process, as we like to say, with the athletics. And we'll say the same thing about the Raiders. You got to trust the process. And that is going to be, you know, this offseason is going to be going to be fascinating for the A's. And, you know, you can talk payroll all you want. I really believe from a business standpoint, Mike Farron wasn't vibing with me on this. But if in early negotiations, the 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 Major League Baseball office puts out the floor to the players union, that's not something you take back. In early negotiations, you know what they want. And I can't remember who we had on the program who said, this means a lot to the players. The players are tired of teams tanking. They don't like it. You you basically take tanking away. So in early negotiations, you throw this out there, there's no way you're taking that back. Like, just think about in business, if you ever negotiate, and I think about negotiations I've been, and in early negotiations, you kind of start setting the framework. This is part of the framework of the deal. So this floor is not going away. They're not going to be like, oh, we're pulling that. That's not what they're going to pull. You know, the universal DH, a floor with a, you know, kind of, you know, takeaway tanking, that's all going to be part of this deal. So... It's interesting where Billy, well, payroll and da da. Okay. Now, I don't know if that floor goes into effect. I, and I don't know what that floor will be, whether it's 80 million or 85 or 100, whatever it's going to be. And if we're talking about a floor, that means teams are going to have to spend. You can tank all you want, but you're going to have to do it for 85 or 90 or 100, whatever it's going to be. I don't know if that's implemented this year or year two or year three, whatever. But you're, if you're an owner, and and the A's are, I mean, my God, what did the A's payroll end up at? Ninety three million, something like that. Yeah, it was it was close. It was close to a hundred. I could pull that up real it, quick. It, it's going to be where that floor is, and that's where I I actually think there's a better chance of re-signing Marte than you think. And everybody likes it. Now there's no way they're going to resign him. Well, he's going to be 33. Someone's going to break the bank on him. I don't know. A nice two-year deal may land him. Uh, according to Spotrack, it was uh, around 80, almost 90 million. All right, so you're close to 90 million, if that's exactly what it is. That's the floor is not going to be that different. I mean, everybody asks, "Oh, the A's are cheap. They don't spend any money." Their teams, their teams, way cheaper. But yeah, we we're we're gonna get into a time where um, owners are gonna have to spend because I don't believe you take I I don't believe that bargaining chip that you've thrown out there I don't believe they can take that back now. I think the big question is gonna be, I gave you the floor, 
where's the ceiling? Owners would like to lower the ceiling. These owners don't want to see $300 million contracts. And now we're talking $400 million for Trout. I mean, people are saying, what's Juan Soto going to get? What, I mean, Shohei Otani, $500 million. You think You think an owner really wants to do five? You could have literally $900 million guaranteed to Trout and Otani. And then throw on the $245 million for Rendon? Artie Moreno's rich. But at some point, it's like, what are we doing here? That's scary money. I mean, you to, to bet that much on human beings, that's scary. Cody, I love the offseason. Even though I'm pissed the A's are not in, <laughs> I love these shows. Because we, we're we not talking about, oh, the A's are taking on the Rangers. and our, you know, We get to talk baseball and do exactly what we want. That's what I love about this show in the offseason. We do – it's basically a t- – it's, it's a real talk show. It's three hours. It's guests. It's topics. And we keep it fresh. We keep it updated. We keep you entertained. I love doing this show in the offseason. I wish the A's were in the playoffs. But when they're not, there's so many different things that we can get into. It's just not all about, hey, it's the A's up against the Twins. And, you know. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and uh, the look ahead to Wednesday, I we got Feldy for our new top 10. We're going to do top 10 postseason innings is what our next list is going to be. So that's that's going to be fun. Top 10 postseason innings in A's history. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Tim Neverett from the Dodgers. He's one of their broadcasters. He'll come he's going to be on at 2 o'clock with us. He also wrote a book about the Dodgers last year in their 2020 COVID season, so we can talk to him about the Dodgers wildcard game and the book. Uh, Dave Wills, our good friend from the Rays Radio Network, their their play-by-play, and then uh, we're going to have John Shea as well. So we'll talk about the A's and the Giants because the Giants, you know, best team in baseball, and we're going to be playing either the Dodgers or the Cardinals on Friday. So I'm working on from someone from St. Louis. My St. Louis contacts are not as good as a lot of other teams because their broadcast is a little little harder to get a hold of. Well, let's just say this. You know, the Dodgers last year, and it'll be interesting to talk about, you know, last year's World Series champion. I, I give them the ultimate respect. You know what I said on this show? I said, whoever climbs the mountain and wins after everything that everybody's been through, neutral sites, bubbles, COVID everywhere, no vaccine at the time. Everybody's a freaked out about getting COVID. And, you know, it's a deadly a disease pandemic that's all around us. And you win the World Series, you're a legit World Series team. But reminiscent of the A's in 89, there was no parade. You didn't have the celebration. You know, obviously because of the earthquake in 89, COVID last year. So, you know, there really has never been a true celebration of this great Dodger team. There just hasn't been. No, there hasn't. They, they've they won their division. They won the division, what, eight times in a row? Now a wild card team, was it eight? They won the NL West? Yeah. I think the longest streak now is the Braves at four. Man, that's impressive. And I guarantee you this. If they're able to beat the Cardinals and move on, Giants do not want the Giants do not want to see the Dodgers. 
can you imagine? You beat them by one game. You get into the postseason. It's your arch rival. And you win 107 games, franchise record, and the Dodgers roll you in the postseason. That'll be humiliating. Or the Cardinals. But if you're the Giants, you really don't want to see the Dodgers. You hope the Cardinals. No, no. I mean, think about that, though. Your your first-round matchup, if you're the Giants, you, you win your division, you're the best team in baseball, you win 107 games. Hey, by the way, you're going to play the wildcard team. Oh, great, we're going to play a team that's not that good. We're going to play a team – you're going to play the team to finish with 106 wins that play, finish one game behind you in the division. But, no, we don't need to fix the playoff system in baseball. Not, not at all. Well, you tell me, why are all these baseball people, they don't get it? I mean, you got baseball people who still don't even want the wild card. Like, it's like so are, and now they've kind of, like old school baseball people either don't want the wild card or they've now dug in going, this is how it should be. Like Mike Farron had it, like he goes, I wouldn't change it, but I understand how it's good for business. Like, there is this phobia of, oh my God, we have too many teams in the, the regular season. I just want to say this to all these baseball people. If you're listening, if you download this or you're listening live, the regular season, you got to get off your regular season high horse. We need the regular season to mean so much. No, the postseason what is what matters. Regular season's nice. Postseason drives ratings, money, fan support. It's what the fans want. Give the fans what they want. If you ask fans, more teams in the postseason and a shorter regular season, would you be down for that? And what you do to the owners is you go, yeah, you, okay, you have less games, less to less, and, and, and now it might be the best time to ever do it now that owners have seen less attendance because you had no attendance last year, and now it's very little attendance. But you make that up in the television money with more rounds in the playoffs. Like this whole, we got to stick to the 162 games. It's tired, man. It really, really is tired. All right. Is that going to do it for the show? I know we've gone a little long, but I, I mean, I could go another hour. Yeah. No. Yeah. We're, we're done. But I, I will add real quick. They did release the attendance numbers for the league overall. And, uh, Baseball drew 45.3 million fans this year. That's down from 68.5 million in 2019. Now, of course, COVID and a lot of, and a lot of ballparks weren't open to start the season completely. So, but still to get 45.3 million fans to come in the ballparks uh, this year is a, uh, is, is still a good sign. I think we had over 10 billion, uh, 10 billion um, hours viewed on um, MLB TV this year too, which is also a good sign. Um, I did see a lot of jokes. If what if 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 only you took away blackout dates and blackouts on on there, how many more hours you'd have? I'm not going to disagree about that, but we don't have to worry about that. But um, that's so that's so great to see. So uh, one last thing they mentioned on Twitter: the decision on Jace Tingler's job could come as early as tomorrow. So we'll see if he's going to be around on Wednesday when we have our show. You Will? think friend of the program, Bruce Bochy, is going to get back into it? Or well, did Bruce Bochy experience an offseason and goes, I mean, you know, mm, Boch, he's a horse. You think Boch, like, 
I kind of like not traveling all around and doing all this and still getting some type of paycheck from the Giants. Yeah. Well, there's another guy that's been linked to them, too. Guy we had on the show earlier. Wash's name's been thrown out there. Ooh, Wash would take that job in a second. Yeah, I mean, it's the age of the old guys coming back. I mean, look, Tony and Dusty, and I mean, Wash is 69 years old, so I mean, it's not like, and he'd be good for them. I mean, I would uh, love, I would love to see Wash get another job and get another crack at it. I would love that. I mean, wherever it is. Can, can you imagine him in San Diego turning around and making Fernando Tatis into a uh, a legitimate fielder, not having 20 errors like he does at shortstop. No one's talking about that. They want to talk about how many home runs he hits and everything. He still is one of the worst fielding shortstops in ba- or fielding and throwing shortstops in baseball. Yes, I said it. Look at his errors, and and you'll see that I'm right. He is. Li- if you think about it, they are literally the most annoying team in baseball. Twelve and thirty-two since August thirteenth. There's a reason They're why. Annoying. They the, the Padres postseason. are annoying. I know people go, Townsend, you're from San Diego. Yeah, I'll say it. I divorced them years ago. They're annoying. They've got the chain. They, I mean, they've got so much, so much hand gestures, and everybody's got this. And that I mean, you'd think they've won multiple World Series. They've won nothing. They collapsed down the stretch. I mean, they got more antics and they got my, I mean, at some point it's like someone's got to go in there and go, Hey, before you guys start doing all dancing and you're doing all this in the dugout and I'm not trying to say don't have fun, but they take the dancing and all this stuff. Guys, you stink. You're under 500. Maybe you need to win something before everybody's got the, the handshakes and D- Cody, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. I mean, they they are the most look-at-me team in baseball. Yeah, I mean, and all they did last year was they made the playoffs, and they didn't even win their series. Again, win a, if you want to celebrate, cool. I'm fine with that. I love bat flips and all that stuff. But if you want to take it over the top, win a series or make it to the World Series. You didn't even make it out of the NLDS. And then you turned around and collapsed, and what's the record now? Uh, they finished what seventy? What were they seventy nine and eighty two, or seventy eight and eighty three, or something like that? Seventy eight and eighty. So it was something. They finished with a losing record, though. Yeah, it, it, it's like it's like they were the, the you know you get these chic picks, and then all of a sudden an ultimate collapse. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. Enjoy A's cast, and we'll be back on Wednesday from 1 to 4. We got playoff baseball starting. We got wild card tomorrow, wild card on Wednesday, and we'll be back from 1 to 4. And, of course, we replay the show from 4 to 7 right here on A's cast. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you on Wednesday. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.